A.K.A. Stormageddon. I'm John. I'm Steve. And uh, this week we are doing our first all pick of 2016. Bum, bum, bum. That's right. Lately we like to make our first episode of the season, because it is technically the first episode of the season, right? Yeah. The season begins with episode 01, or 51, or all multiples of 51. Right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's because we won 50 a year. Exactly. Which is like 30 times better than any British television out there, because they only do like three. Oh, you see, you even found your opportunity after all these episodes to take a dig at British television. Yeah, I'm so upset because all my favorite shows are British too. So I take, I get them in little spurts, and it's so disappointing. They got some good ones. You watching the tunnel? No, no, but I heard really good things about. Check out the tunnel. It's equally in French as it is also in English. So, in other words, subtitles. subtitles. I imagine they probably like air it in France because it's just as much, you know, for them to chew on as us. And then just the subtitles are reversed. That's that's pretty obvious. Did you see the bridge? Yeah, I know we do music. Is it like the bridge? It is. It's based on the bridge. Oh, okay. Uh, that actually should be yeah. Yep. Pretty, okay, I definitely have to check that out. Yep, we'll get to music. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. We became a, a movie podcast, a movie right, and right. TV show. Podcast. Right, right, right. Movies changed. We'll say film, film. Even though nothing's on it's film. It's movie anymore. madness now instead of uh, well, TV words. shows are becoming more film-like. So yes, and movies are becoming more episodic. Yeah, that, that's why I lumped it in. Yeah, yeah. Not cause sure. Of, not because of error. No. Right. Okay. <laughs> all right. We like to make our first episode of the season, or of, or even of the review season. Frankly, we like to make them count in a special way somehow. We usually like it to be something interesting or something that binds people together. Maybe something both popular and interesting at the same time. Well, in that case, I don't expect that we'll be able to top this year's choice by those criteria anytime soon. In fact, you could say we were downright selfish with this one, as we're starting off the year, like Matt said, with an all-pick. That is to say, neither of us are giving up our album pick for this. It is 100% mutual. Call it a fourth anniversary present to ourselves. Uh, but I suspect it'll extend a lot to other people, and I mean a lot to other people, because I forget who said it first. I believe it was our mutual friend Pete, in fact, who said that the Red Hot Chili Peppers are one of the safest bands to play in a car with people, or if you're at a house party or you're hosting a party. They're one of the most universally liked ensembles because their style just latches on to people, even subconsciously. Now, not speaking for everyone, of course, but statistically, this has held true for me and most of my social circles. And I would wager that's for a very simple reason. Funk. <laughs> you knew I was going to say Yeah, it. of course. It was going to... But I've, I've actually met people who tell me that they don't like funk, probably because they're thinking of maybe the campy films, uh, the ridiculous over-the-top 70s crime-fighting dialogue. But even then, I bet they're still tapping their foot. I guarantee you they're doing it, just a little bit. Because I personally happen to love the cliches in funk, and I'm not afraid to admit that. But especially when you strip that away, you're essentially left with the art of riff creation. Danceable riff creation. And while I don't think that 
basic funk riffs are all that difficult to come up with, for, for talented musicians that is, I also don't believe that being able to consistently create them on an album scale is an easy feat, and the Chili Peppers have done that for almost 30 years straight. They are a very layered ensemble, and they get away with it even more so because in general they write very lively stuff, musically speaking. Remember last week how I described the pop music as uh, having a kind of joie de vivre, the, the joy of life? Right. You know, that's, that's kind of what the Chili Peppers mean to me personally. They lift my spirits with just about every riff and mostly, although perhaps flawedly, with every lyric. Because I confess, it's to the point where I only barely take in Chili Peppers lyrics. It's surface value because the music is just so much more important to me. And they're not bad lyricists either, but I have my priorities. And it's these priorities which I imagine will finally get the chance to challenge head-on in this episode. This has been a long time in the making. I'm excited. Yeah, the album we are taking on is their brand new record, The Getaway. It had just come out a few weeks ago and uh, for me personally, the Chili Peppers are a band that have kind of been integral to my music development. I've always listened to them as far back as I could remember looking for music, but I didn't really truly get into them until Californication came out um, and then dove into the backlog deeper. I knew their singles, you know, it's impossible to not know Under the Bridge and Give It Away Now and, mm -hmm. you know, the biggest singles that they put out, Aeroplane, but it wasn't until Californication where I really dove in and sunk my teeth into their discography and that album. And then I remember, by the way, was the first album I anticipated as a record release. It's the one I actively remember, oh, it comes out on this date, I have to go to the store that day and buy it. Yes, kids. Back then, you had to go to a store to buy a CD. That's right. And if you wanted to go through the backlog of any band, you, you had to buy just, them. You couldn't just sit in your chair and listen to Spotify. Yeah. It's, you... it's not even that. I mean, it goes further than that. There was, you know, places devoted to just music. Yeah. It's not just, you know, that section in Barnes & Nobles or that quaint little store that's on the corner that has this thing called a record. Yeah. Not even CDs, but records. Big plastic. Well, those are making a com comeback. So they're actually not <laughs> as hard to imagine being in the pop popular culture but so for me Red Hot Chili Peppers I've kind of always connected with and especially on an emotional level their songs are you know where while Steve said that he focused a lot on the music because of the funk because you know funk well they're very sing-alongable it's right. just very I find myself being attached more to the melodies themselves than really paying attention to what they're actually saying whereas for me songs like Breaking the Girl Other Side Under the Bridge sure. it's absolutely about the lyrics I get sucked into the emotion of the lyrics in fact Under the Bridge is probably one of the most emotionally charged songs I've ever heard um you know, and it's got a unique origin, the fact that it's based on poetry that Anthony Kiedis wrote while they were recording that album that was originally just going to stay poetry, and their producer found it and said, you have to put this in the album, we have to find a way. Well, that's why I'm excited we're doing this, because it's, like I said, we're, we're trying to challenge uh, our priorities. So if your priorities yeah. were, well, in those songs, then the lyrics, and my priorities were the music, then here I get a chance to actually look at all of the above right. and really see what it means to me. Exactly. It's also great that uh, we're getting something from a band that is, besides you know being sort of part of pop culture at this point, uh, also recognized as being such a tidal force. And in my personal experience, I never really made the connection of how I viewed Red Hot as like the second best, the third best, or sometimes the first best of music of the time I was listening to, to how popular and how powerful they were in in just the general mass. Well, that's just the thing. They tend to creep up on you. Like, I, w I remember being really shocked when my uh, our mutual friend Pete actually said that, that they were really good for both parties and they were just very safe in a large group of people. It's not, uh, in this case, we're not using the word safe in, in the demeaning sense. Not like, either. it's safe and not, you know, really pushing the boundary. It, it, they actually have this weird way of just bringing every 
everyone together, but it's not universally recognized as such, and I think that may be a little bit your point. Like, it's yeah. not something that I thought of. It's something that I guess he thought of specifically, and that you just kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right there. Well, just doing like, a, a cursory glance. Can't go glance. wrong with chili peppers. Yeah, just doing a cursory glance of the awards and accolades. They've gotten six Grammy Awards, but I think more telling is actually the Billboard Alternative song list, where they got... 12 number ones, 85 combined weeks at number one, and 24 top tens. And that's the <laughs> there best is that. of best of best. There is that. For so alternative. Maybe I mean, it doesn't creep up in you. Maybe yeah, it's just a like, little, uh, little Maybe obvious. you just got to look for it. Yeah. 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 If, if you look to the billboard charts. Right. Which, yes. I mean, which we, we did, did last week. Which we, we did, did last week. Hey, yeah, it's, a thing. it's a thing. It's all that. You want to dive in? Yeah, let's, let's get started. So as I said, the album's called The Getaway, and the first track we get is the title track, which is called... The Getaway, because that's how title tracks work. Let's get the obvious out of the way. Oh, it's not so obvious. But for five seconds, just five seconds in this track, I thought that they replaced their drummer with a human hi-hat. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, I'm okay with that. I like yeah, it. Yeah, no. It's very interesting. It's a nice little texture to start off with. Well, it was because... only five seconds. And it was a unique start for sure. But then, of course, we do get a drummer, and then we get a guitar, we get a bass, and we get vocals. Sounds like a band to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... And, Observation and, of the and year. And when Anthony Kiedis' vocals come in, they sound as buttery as I remember, you know, just kind of seeping right into me. It, it, and I've always, I would say he's probably got one of the most beautiful voices in rock music, for sure. And that is crazy, considering yeah. his age. Well, yeah, he, yeah. he sounds unchanging. He's in his 50s. He's and in his early 50s. These guys have been around for 30 years. And yet, it's uh, if someone, like, posed a question to me, if I didn't know Red Hot Chili Peppers at all, and I didn't know the lead singer, Anthony Kiedis, I would have figured, all right... That, that that based on those vocals right there, you know, standard rock singer in his in his prime, late twenties, I would maybe, be maybe shocked. I would 30s. not believe if someone told me it was early fifties. Yeah, maybe early thirties. Yeah, yeah. At, at max. And that's... I mean, I would say that I could hear a difference between like the older older records, but for sure, with from the nineties on, like he, his voice has literally sounded exactly the same, and it always affects me in a certain way because I like the way his singing kind of goes between almost like a hip hop tone and like beautiful melody well, he singing. Has, he has these little rap rock spurts that he goes into. Yeah. Not so much in this track no, at all, but sure. it, is, it is certainly a side of Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I have to be honest, maybe that was the only thing that back in the 90s I wasn't 100% on board with. I preferred their funkier tracks, but I also still kind of like the fact that when he does go into those rap rock segments, it kind of does match the funk a little bit. It's yeah. basically like he's just sitting there jamming out with the rest, yeah. you know? It, 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 it syncopates really well. And we'll get more of that later on the record. Yeah. But in this track, it's pretty much his just kind of beautiful flowy singing which which he's known for. Which has a touch of melancholy to it that I've mm -hmm. always loved and that's yeah. probably what's, I wouldn't say he is the best vocalist. I, that's a claim that's a little bit hard but because of that melancholy it's it's always connected. It's always nice and emotional and easy to get along with which I think is even better than being an amazing vocalist. He His, his voice always seems to be able to touch people and here it's doing it right off of the bat. Yeah um, especially like just for the first 30 Eight seconds, he really is the spotlight because everything else is pretty much on loop, you know, just slowly setting the stage. The the vocals are, are really the prime thing here, and they're just as smooth as always. Now, after 38 seconds, you get some background vocalists stepping in. Very classy thing to do. And then the pre-chorus comes up rather suddenly at 55 seconds, and it has a rather sudden burst of energy to it, but also a little, uh, kind of subtle at the same time. I love the phrasing in this pre-chorus, and I think that's really his strength as a vocalist as well. It's not just the fact that his vocal tone, you know, is really easy to get on board with because it is so kind of melancholy, kind of just beautiful at face value, but also the way he writes his melodies 
are beautifully accented. In this case, the, the, the pre-chorus here has this another lonely superstar to get away inside your car, but there's these emphasis, another lonely superstar to get away inside your car. It's this nice little, like, rocking back and forth technique that I just, I don't know, I, I, it, it, it has this way of attaching itself to me. It, like, tattoos itself on my brain. And that was only after a first listen, forgetting the, the second, third, you know, multiple times that I listened before uh, doing this episode. I, it's, that's the mark of a... That, this is the stuff I was looking for last week. Sure. When we did the pop. <laughs> like, that's good pop writing. It just yeah. gets inside your head. Um, I want that stuff out of my head, the other stuff. <laughs> what I like about this song, as Steve is describing the vocals, I'm actually going to take a shift to the instrumentation and talk about sure. how it takes its time, you know... As Steve was describing, like, one instrument comes in after the other, but then they kind of sit in this place while he's singing, and they don't rush it. They don't just hit hard or, or take off fast. It's it's very reminiscent of the slower side of the Chili Peppers, and I like that they're letting the song breathe and evolve naturally. I mean, it mostly comes together over the entire course of the song. It doesn't really rush to the end. Little things are introduced as we go through every moment of the song. It doesn't, like, jump to a moment in the chorus or in the pre-chorus like it's just slowly building one foot in front of the other, and I enjoy that. Same with the uh, the chorus, for instance, is mm -hmm. actually really just a, an extension of the pre-chorus. It's a seamless uh, transition. It's, it's part of it, really, except that now he's singing normally. In other words, he's not doing that little uh, uh, emphasis on right. the on the wobbles. The correct emphasis. That's right, but instead here, the, f the female backing vocalists are actually interjecting with those same lyrics that he was singing before in the pre-chorus, and they're doing the same phrasing that he was previously doing. So that's just a nice little thread to tie it all together. They sing Another Lonely Superstar to get away inside your car. And he sings You Don't Have to Keep It If It's Mine, Another Place Maybe Another Time. Yeah, and the female vocalist really compliments his voice. Like, I like that kind of dynamic that they have together. Didn't expect it either. Right, yeah. And then when we go back into the verse, that second verse borrows so heavily from the chorus, yet makes it its own. It it gives the the space and the, the reverb nature that we had in the pre-chorus and chorus and flushes it out and integrates it into what we had gotten in originally. And this combination of the two really has a very uplifting feel, a very strong and emotional point to it that I, I'm thoroughly entranced at this point. I'm just grooving along to this funky but expansive, this kind of tight-knit community of instruments that are going on right now. And it's not, like, mind-blowing material either. I mean, just to go back to that, uh, how the melodies, you know, tattooed themselves inside my eardrum, I, I would suggest that the reason for that is half uh, the riffs themselves and half the melody. I, I It may not be the best Chili Peppers song that I've ever heard, but it fits right in that meat and potatoes of in-between material that has all the bare essentials for me to enjoy it. Well, yeah, and I'd say as far as a way to start the album, it's a nice introduction. It's not... like This is a song I would recommend to get people into this album because it would really invite you in. In a lot of ways, I'd actually recommend it as a song to get into Red Hot because yeah, that's it's, true too. it's kind of like... Like Steve said, it's it's the meat and potatoes of, of Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's yeah. nothing different than what they've done in the past, but it is a very solid example of what they've done. So you're not getting anything new. And Like, for instance, the interlude is very straightforward. Yeah. It's just a drum and bass, but the drum and bass are always fantastic I mean, in this yeah. case. It's uh, flea. That's, that's something I'm probably going to throw out a lot. It's It's They're not like each each uh, verse and successive chorus are not carbon copies. The verses, for instance, they add uh, the third verse adds a little more of a, like an airy keyboard feel in the mm -hmm. background. And, and the, the guitar bridge, gets a little echoey, too, I think, yeah. there, too. The bridge is maybe the only area that I'll nitpick in this song. The bridge felt just a slight bit tacked on and a little bit lackluster, but it did segue 
way into a very straightforward ending for this song. Just no fuss, no muss. He's, the last line is, hold my name inside your ray-ay-ay-ay-ays. And that's it. Single note, done. Move on, next song. Yeah. So it's also very concise. It feels complete, and it doesn't feel like it's cut short. It does feel like a complete package from start to finish. And I think that's also because of the slow build I was talking about before, that it takes its time to move through. It does feel solid. On to track two, Dark Necessities. I love this song. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, well, let's start with the intro because, All right. like, it's just, this is, if the first song was the meat and potatoes, this is the special sides and prime rib. Yeah. Well, in a way. All right, this is, I, I agree, but th- this is kind of, I have a kind of a complex point uh, for this <laughs> whole opening <laughs> intro. I know, I always. By, by all means, When Steve. don't I? Right. Um all right, so first of all, just a little description. The the bass and guitar start off split between each ear. The crispness is just sex in my ears. Love it. <laughs> but the light rolling piano that builds alongside this, that was something I didn't quite expect. And overall, what we have here in the intro is a long 40-second crescendo. Now, in itself, I want to also emphasize, it's not mind-blowing stuff like in the complex sense, but it's kind of ethereal, kind of original, I thought, and kind of understated. Because these guys... They don't take themselves too seriously, and I have a little rant on that point because I want to follow up our discussion in episode 198 on word choice. I had to emphasize, I use the word understated, and understated in this case doesn't mean simple, and simple doesn't mean boring. In fact, the only thing that those three words have in common where critical analysis is concerned is that they're all subjective. The word simple is a little less subjective because it's easy to say things like, well, hey, they're just tapping steadily here and cycling through four fairly obvious, ominous chords. The track's called Dark Necessities, after all, so we're not getting anything anything unexpected here. So by most measures, it is pretty simple. Now, B, well, the word boring is extremely subjective, although simple stuff does tend often to bore me. So finally landing at the word that I started with, understated. It's kind of an ineffable term, and, and that's why I'm kind of, like, honing in on this like understated compared to what compared to the last song sure compared to yugen back in episode 195 sure but overall it's the kind of word that perhaps best conveys effortless art and it's usually marked by subtleties that are not so effortless but only appear as such such as the drums for these 40 seconds slight little accent marks on the second beat and on several of the the ands of the beats the smoothness of which is actually pretty easy to overlook but takes some drummer's ingenuity to know when to turn the dial down but still be interesting it's a great groove against an almost minimalist intro structure which is why i think understated is the term that i'm sticking with and i think that it's no wonder that this track is also the first single off the record because of all of those things you just said. I think it's kind of the perfect single to yeah. wheel people in. And, you know, it's reminiscent of singles of the past for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But that's only the first 40 seconds. Right, right. Because yeah, they... what this goes into as a funk bass plus piano duo that ever so subtly shifts in some almost scat-oriented guitar work is is a... Really is not understated. In it some is ways, the opposite. It's almost an explosion of what had been previously stated in those introductory chords. That's the big appeal of Red Hot Chili Peppers, because in many ways they do this drop, like in in actually many songs sure. they've done this before, and it's exactly what people want all oh, the yeah. time. I at least I can only assume as such. In many ways, you could argue that oh well, they abandoned that intro, but I would 
just argue right back. Of course they do, as well they should. They're the Chili Peppers, I'm here for the funk, and the funk bass is just, it's loaded in the segment that follows 40 seconds. Also marked by some, like, clapping on the second beat, and the piano stays there as well. It's, it actually remains a, a constant element, so I actually would continue in saying they don't really abandon it at all. And then the vocals come in in this part too. This part of the song is where we start to get the singing that I was referring to in the first track because it's what's at the forefront of my mind when thinking about Anthony Kiedis. And it's the not quite rapping but not quite singing where he's speaking. And this is some of my favorite vocals in the album right here up front because it's it's the way he, like Steve was saying previously, the emphasis on the correct syllable. It's, it's that joke. <laughs> the correct syllable. The correct syllable. It's just one of those things that I get really sucked into the groove of how he sings, Actually, too. Actually, the vocals and the bass, I think, are together the funkiest parts of this. The fun that's inherent in the bass itself bleeds through to the vocals. And yeah. he's not actually in putting that emphasis on each note of the bass, on each piece. Well, no, each it's piece. kind of a little he, almost random, seemingly. Yeah, but he uses the bass itself to accent the actual pronunciation, not just the emphasis, but the pronunciation is a little bit off kilter here and there, and that is where the most endearing qualities of this vocal style really show up hard, because you're not just getting something different with a vocalist, you're getting something that's actually being added to by the music itself, and that's something that we tend to search for in our music, in that the vocals and the music itself, the harmonies, support one another. You have to have the melody and the harmony that's working in tandem. Here it's working in complete tandem and doing a beautiful job of playing off of one another. Yeah, and then the singing style kind of shifts when we get to the chorus, and he does the you know the beautiful melodic singing that he's known for to sing probably some of my favorite chorus work that they've done, which is, you don't know my mind, you don't know my kind, dark necessities are part of my design. And I just love uh, the flow of that chorus. And then it just repeats, you know, then it has a second part that's tell the world that I'm falling from the sky, dark necessities are part of my design. You know, and it's it's just the way it's it kind of a, rounded that I just really get wrapped up in it. Well, I think it's just simply the fact that it has a sing-along quality yeah. to it. Um, it every, I mean, he's also another, we talk about enunciating words, he's another one. He doesn't really... There are occasions where he does slur things to get it, but honestly, he has such a crisp uh, vocal quality anyway. We just went on this rant in track one, and I yeah. think that's one of the reasons why when he says something, it, it has a tendency to stick with you. And certainly that phrase, part of my design, I mean, I can hear it in my head it's even with you reading hook. it. It's just a hook. I mean, there's no denying yeah. it. And then, of course, we're back to uh, the verse after that. We add the funk guitar the second time around to it, uh, which has kind of a gurgle to it that I really dug. But also, to uh, continue my point on the piano, because the piano remains an element throughout uh, most of these verses. And what I like about it is that obviously they continue it from the beginning. They didn't. They never abandoned the piano element throughout this song, and it actually makes appearances several times uh, later on this album. It's not something that I uh, that I need nor expect from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's not what people think about. They don't think piano, but. I found it interesting that their choice so far has been this like plain, unembellished piano style. Not a ton of reverb here, but also not like studio-level claustrophobia. It's more like that of a lounge environment. It's lounge piano, which I, I, for some reason just works with a funk setup. What? But it does. Who knows? It does. And this becomes really powerful when the bridge first hits. Yeah, I mean, it, it starts with just yeah, a very, a very beautifully stated piano. In fact, that does very little. It, it, like you said, it's not very complicated. In in the bridge specifically is when uh, it reminded me of a, a specific artist, uh, Jamie Cullum. Come to think of it, or his style of playing, not necessarily like his all-out jazzy style of playing, but sure. like the tone that he, you would expect a lounge jazz pianist to uh, to play in. And then to play off of that to build 
build upon that, you get these these uh, notes coming from the bass. It's just like a cascading fall. Oh, I love that. And it's so beautiful and works so well. Flea will find a way yeah. to make just about every section interesting. I mean, the bass never sleeps in Chili Peppers. He, in, in this case, he's engaged in, yeah, these the relatively fast downward scale runs, this fall downward. And it's, it's, eh, it's just... It's all about the moments in Chili Peppers, in a way. I, I sometimes can can lose sight of, like, entire tracks because whenever they change their sections, you just get caught up in every little idea. It, yeah. Music, complete musical ingenuity, like, moment by moment. Yeah, and then and when we go back to the chorus, before going to the outro, what I like is the chorus is a little different here. There are lines that are repeated that weren't before. And then we get this kind of breakdown where, you know, everybody just kind of gets to have fun as we outro the track, which I really like because I like when the members of this band flex their muscles because they all have a lot of talent and it, it always produces interesting things to listen to instrumentally. Yeah, the brighter nature of the chorus itself does set up not just the return to the verse that does happen or the bridge that does happen, but it allows them to really rock out in the outro where they're just they're just grooving. They're just enjoying it. And then there's... I remember there's even actually an interlude just prior to yes. that where the guitar came in and took over the same motif that Flea started where he yeah. was doing the downward scale yeah. runs, uh, albeit a little bit differently, but I'm sure it was planned, a planned motif. Oh, and that, sure. that texture change was at the same time familiar because we're getting the same thing over again, but at the, at the same time it adds a lot more. Outro. The outro yeah. was, um, yeah, the the guitar, the kind of like an '80s new wave mm -hmm. uh, vibe to it, which I really dug. It maybe a throwback to like their early career. I'm not sure, but it sounded exactly like the guitar tone in in Men at Work. You know, I'm thinking yeah. like 1982. I would be shocked if they weren't influenced somewhat by some of those bands of the 80s. I mean, wait, wait, I found it. Flea is Australian American, and Men at Work were Australian. That's so, it. That's it. That's it's, it. That's it the, connection. the sound of they, the land they down They obviously under. went yeah. to the same school and had the same teachers and things like clearly. that. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. All right. On that note, why don't we make our way to track three, We Turn Red. Drum power. That's what we get right up front here. And I love the fact that Chad we're starting we're starting completely drummer. differently. New idea. Starting with drums and mm -hmm. a steady, more even bass. And this is this actually shifts the focus from bass, which is what I've been focusing on, because that's what I almost always focus on when I'm listening to Red Hot. Yeah. And we're getting something different in the percussion. Now texture. he's just kind of holding it down. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not experimenting the way that I've come to expect. He's just supporting the percussion instead of the percussion supporting him. Yeah, the drums are more of the attitude here. I actually described this whole intro as kind of a turn your speakers up kind of song. Sure. It's just, it's got so much energy. And I like the drums here because he, Chad's playing in a way that feels erratic, but it's not. It's definitely, it's, it's, it's even in matching the bass, but it's kind of all over the drum set, so it feels like he's kind of just improving. And it, and it, it has this way of kind of getting you moving because you want to follow along with it. And the funny thing is that really the backdrop is actually setting up the stage for I would, what I would, I guess perceive as Red Hot Chili Peppers' more rap rock oriented uh, tracks, despite mm -hmm. the fact that Anthony Kiedis is actually not really singing that style at all. Right. He's singing in more of his like typical deadened Anthony Kiedis haze, that, that yeah. smooth tone that we described earlier, almost childlike in fact. But yet, just to hone in on the rap rock point, um, this is like the the concert party headphone material all in once. I think this yeah. is like that that widest appeal side of Chili Peppers. This is the side of them that, that garnered the widest appeal, um, perhaps like back in the 90s. I mean, it's like the rest of the material, apart from his vocals, is actually kind of taunting you. At times, this band is so tight, I want to cry. <laughs> 
That's a good point. Um, <laughs> it's really funny. It just kind of exploded without Right, that. exactly. No, but what no, I no, it's been like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll embellish really, really quick. It's been crazy long since we've actually had a band that was this talented at just simply being a band. A band, yeah. You feel me? Because no, yeah. We, you know, we always knew that this would be Chili Peppers. We just always kind of delayed it. But we get we get in, ingenuity in various other senses, not necessarily in just being a band and being tight. And I don't mean in a jam band sense, because I don't think we really that wasn't we didn't favor too highly with that when we no. like look back at Fish. Like they they write all this material and it's all very kind of composed and intricate in its way. So it's yeah. not just completely improvisatory, though it was probably born out of that 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 thing but give take add 30 years you know stew a little bit you know and uh mix and match different uh, instrumentalists and you have just what you have the the groove that comes in after we get this this wonderful intro that we've been waxing eloquence about um kind of feels more like an island groove we were saying it kind of feels real really relaxed a little but it's not as bright as an island groove. It's a little bit darker, a little bit deeper, because it does rely a little bit more heavily. So I'll beach at sunset. No, no, no. I, it, it feels to me like it relies a little bit more heavily on the percussion and yeah. the bass than it does on any of the accents that show up in the pre-chorus. Because when agree. the guitar shows up, it does show that the verses themselves are definitely a darker because this guitar is just prettier, brighter, and feels a little bit more traditional in a lot of ways and it does open up what i what what in retrospect for me was almost gritty well yeah i mean also the the it is a stark transition between the verse and the chorus you know and that so pre-chorus does, doesn't that's, that's do a our, lot no, no i disagree i think the pre-chorus does a lot i think the pre-chorus uh first of all adds like a little tone in the guitar kind of contracting yeah, from true. a minor the acoustic kind of tone comes in there right it contracts from like a minor third down to a minor second interval and the guitar just holds that tone for the duration of the measure also kind of like it's in its own haze, sort of reflecting Kiedis's vocals from earlier. But in a way, the, the guitar tone, it kind of reminds me of Interpol a little bit, but it has it has such a nice uh, dissonance to it because the bass still has you anchored in G, so you really feel that minor second interval when it contracts. Uh, meanwhile, he's singing, Sitting here, I count the moons, the orders we obeyed. And he's still in, in the uh, the haze as well here, like he was earlier. Every night before we go to bed, I watch while the others pray. And the, every at both those those syllables, obeyed and pray, you feel you feel that dissonance. So yeah. this is just this was actually a, a moment of kind of like eyes opening a little bit for the album to me, and and that's why I don't want to dismiss this pre-chorus. No, in many I agree. Ways, I, I think, think I actually enjoyed it. A little more than the chorus, but that I still have more comments with the chorus. I'll I'll hold off for now. <laughs> and the chorus, we burst through with this chorus. It, it to me, my mind's eye, what I visualized right here was more of going from a nice dark, but still kind of safe. It it was a little bit damp, but it was familiar and it was enjoyable itself. When we actually hit the chorus, the bass drops out, the percussion is barely there, and it is really led by the vocals and guitar work. Okay. And, and I think it's acoustic. It is absolutely acoustic. And how more. bright it is! How how like it, it's le- legitimately sunny without the percussion line, without the bass line really being the driving factor. It's night and day that we go through. It's more open, like a like a lullaby is you know open and inviting. Uh, in this way, I could almost see how it could be construed as feeling a little bit disconnected. Um, but I think the only reason I feel that is because I was really liking the tension that was present 
in the pre-chorus. But of course, if you like a release of tension, you're going to love this section. So, and I do love it independently. It's just, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll work on this thought a little bit. Right. Well, and also the chorus, I think you're right, kind of does have a lullaby feel. I mean, the way this, the, the chorus is actually sung and the words that they're using does kind of feel like something you'd sing before you, to someone before they go to bed. Send it off through Delaware. Just make it fair for the legionnaires. Paint a simple portrait of my kind. Permission to the heartless bombs. Gold-plated hate and the waitress moms. Serving up the stories of my mind. Really? Would you sing that to someone before you go to well, bed? Think, but it's, it, it does have it's that in the way. The yeah. 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 And honestly, the content itself, you got to remember a lot of old school lullabies are pretty dark and depressing and everything. Ring around the rosy. Ashes, ashes. We Actually, all that's fall true, down. To be yeah. perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, him singing about about, you know, gold-plated hate. I mean, that right there, that is a really interesting choice of words. Yeah. But it's really not far from a lullaby concept of introducing darker themes at the same time while sounding nice and beautiful and calming. In a lot of ways, it lets you accept being, you know, scared of the world. So it works. For me, I like this dichotomy between the darkness of the verses and the brightness of the choruses. But then it's I like... like- the, it's like it's his like true this. feelings on it actually come through more in the verses then, because once we go back to the more funk-oriented verses, he has more attitude this time. So it was kind of a strange shift to almost feel musically like the chorus didn't belong. But that's that's interesting because it actually just shows two ways of dealing with the same problem, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, it's also a, I, I think it's more of a. Rev- a uh, view of fantasy versus reality. Reality sucks. Reality is nice and dark, and that's what he's explaining in these verses. But the chorus is more lighthearted and more fantastical. He's trying to brighten himself up and make himself happier, and that's why the pre-chorus is a nice shift. It's his mind actually making the shift from reality to fantasy. Let's just look at the verses here, because of course you usually tend to get more uh more content in the verses and and the the moral as it were in the choruses um the from the first verse lost my mind because i'm on the plastic who knew it's so damn drastic show me what it is you believe in slowly she sinks all her teeth in do you want to go fishing in new orleans do you want to get up early in the morning take me to the river where we do the little storming hallelujah i feel it warming um, and then verse two, Mexico, you are my neighbor, home of the let's be braver. Give me all your, give me all your sick and your tired races that we admire. Do you want to go dancing in Chicago? Trinidad's got it bad for Tobago. Take me to the lake where we do the avocado. Hallelujah, a desperado. Uh, kind of strikes me as a little bit of a political angle. Yeah, no, I, for sure, I can see that. Um, it's subtle though, and this is the stuff why I don't always notice this in Red yeah. Hot Chili Peppers because against the music, are you really going to be thinking about these themes? Not necessarily, and that was my argument from the very, very beginning. Sure. Obviously, you're thinking of the more emotional lyrics or the ones that really do stick in your head. Which is why um, the chorus stood out to me more, because you right. get the emotional impact or even of like the, the fancifulness. Or th- even that brand of their, of their, uh, of their songs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess the chorus, especially in the second time it was, it was repeated, the co- second chorus really grew on me, more so than the first. It was just the first time it was a little bit jarring, but it is so much more you know, expansive with the post-rock guitar whales kind of stepping in later in the second chorus this time. And uh, I don't know, you could argue the break was necessary. I, I just think that maybe musically could have been done a little bit more artfully. That's my only point. It's kind of like I'm talking out of my brain and my heart at the same time because I'm addicted to the verses and the pre-choruses and the choruses are beautiful in their own right. I just think they could have panned out the idea a little bit more. And the contrast, though, still works artistically. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> now, now we're all right. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> so track. track four, the longest wave. So the the 
introduction to this track has kind of a guitar tone we haven't heard before on the record. It's a little sweeter, a little crisper. It feels a little warmer. Um, think of the more sway-worthy songs that the Chili Peppers have done, stuff that feels friendlier and, and kind of open. That's because this is more of that a again. slow jam. It actually it yeah. does have more of a jam feel as opposed of the tight knit composition that we had earlier. It's more easy going because it's just a longer form than what we've gotten so far. So this allows you to feel a little bit more scattered and to really get into the groove that's associated with everything that's going on right well, here. Well, because mix wise, mixing wise, it's got a warmer tone to it. But this time you're not using the acoustic thing. This is it's like folk rock electric guitar. Yeah. Um, and this it's a side of them that I'm aware of. Of, but it always kind of creeps up on me because they're usually, again, so full of energy. Um, but it, it actually is a very, very nice setup. Even It's even nicer when the bass starts comping alongside it. Uh, but this is definitely an instance, and here I'm going to agree with you, Matt, where the lyrics leapt out to me. Yeah. And for obvious reasons, the atmosphere is so much thinner, so the, the spotlight kind of shifts. And beyond that, his vocal quality is also really highlighted as well. It, it can be easy to forget sometimes how good of a singer he is because he gets in those rap rock zones or the flat, non-vibrato, dazed vocal zones that often don't see him in a challenging environment. He's usually bobbing and weaving like he's enjoying the show with us, the audience. Uh, but here, he's really belting it. And I loved uh, that moment later on, like at, at 1 minute 55 seconds, where he's like joined by other vocals uh, for the longest wave. And he holds out that, that syllable, the longest wave. And he actually he, he uh, puts his vibrato on it. He, yeah. he actually uses vibrato for once. And it really, it really shines through. But Getting back to my original point, the, the lyrics shine through because the atmosphere is so much thinner, so that's what I hear first. Throw me all around like a boomerang sky. Whatever you do, don't tell me why. Poppies grow tall, then say bye-bye. The wave is here. I don't know. There's just something about it which kind of goes back to that it sticks in your head a little bit. It, and it, especially since he's the spotlight, they're bound to. It feels more poetic, and he's a guy who writes poetry as well as writes music, and so you kind of get that vibe from this verse for sure. Well, the next section of the verse really is just pure poetic form. A seamless little team, and then we tanked. I guess we're not so sacrosanct. The tip of my tongue, but then we blanked. The wave is here, waiting on the wind to tell my side. He's doing the sort of things that I love in the more clouded lyrics that Red Hot does. When you look at some of their previous work, Under the Bridge, you really get some very interesting imagery. You get mm -hmm. a turn of phrase that is, that is a little bit more unusual. That's what he's doing here. He's he's trying to paint you the ocean from the beach. Mm. And he's doing so by not directly really referring to either the ocean or the beach. He's hinting at it. He's alluding at it. I love lyrics like these mm -hmm. because they let you imagine it in different ways at the same exact time. Because he's not doing anything definitive. And I, I think that's where the caginess that I love in a lot of the stuff comes in in, the, in its best form. I think that also these lyrics lend very well to the kind of structure instrumentally that they're building here. Because when we get to the pre-chorus and then move to the chorus, you know, we get well, what you want, what you need, do you love. And oh. then we have this crash of color when the the music kind of... So we get a squealing guitar that leads into this eruption of instrumentation that feels very much like any bright Beatles song you can think of. It's not just an eruption or an explosion or, or the other ways you could describe it because that promotes destruction. The one word I want to hone in on here to describe it, concussive. It's just force that pushes out. It doesn't really move too much away from the melody 
possibility that was being developed right here. It just seems to fill up the room that it was previously in. Well, I want to emphasize that the song in general, even back in the verses, had kind of a 60s vibe to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, especially by the chorus, it really enhances, and that is certainly for the Beatles' reason. Um, But even just in general, like the the arena reverb, I guess, that it has. uh, Arena is like a weird term because then people think more in the 80s, but they they, they had larger venues back in the 60s. And, of course, to be the way they were recorded back then and the kinds of effects they would use, I guess something about that is anchoring me to the decade. Um, but that's thrown mainly on the guitar. And then even in returning verses, we have, like, psychedelic whirring in between phrases. So it's there in the verses. But, yeah, the elephant here <laughs> is definitely in the choruses because there it's just, like, the guitar rips themselves, the ideas are Beatles quality easily, both in tone because they're actually sending me back to the time frame again, like something off of Let It Be perhaps, uh, but also in stickability. Like you never forget a Beatles song because of the fact that the melodies are just written in that way that it sticks with you. And so far, this album is having that effect on me. It doesn't take long before the album itself has attached itself to you, molded itself to your soul. I know we're getting pretty metaphysical here, but that's the level on which this is operating. Yeah. To, me, to me personally. No, yeah. Maybe not everybody. No, I actually everybody. get a sense of that yeah, too. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. the weight of the album continues to increase as we move to other tracks. I mean, but what I really like about this track specifically is just this kind of beautiful picture it paints. And it's why I used the word colorful before, because it just feels like a canvas sprayed with color. Like, it just gets me wrapped up in it. I get lost in it. And it's also kind of, I guess, miraculous considering, all right, this is episode 201 now, fifth season. And this is a time in which I feel like I'm poised to be critical. Like, yeah because of the throwbacks, because of the references, because of the familiarity of the atmosphere, I'm, like, ready to, to jump down this track's throat and be like, ah, come on, you know, uh, something a little more original than that. But it's just so it, effortless. It works well, so well. There's it's, nothing about it that's, you know, that they don't feel like they're making references in a it, way. Yeah, it feels very natural. This track is <laughs> the longest wave, the, the wave that they're building up right here, when it hits that pre-chorus crest and then crashes down and just fulfills itself. And that's why I'm saying it feels non-destructive. It feels concussive. It feels... Like, it's just one force hitting another. So this chorus, the way it just crashes in on itself, it feeds on itself. It churns with itself. Like, I'm using a lot of wave imagery. The reason for that is that it really does fulfill said imagery. Yeah. The music yeah. does this in in such a way that we really don't come across yeah. all too often. Actually, that was kind of my last comment here. Like, the way in which the verses and the choruses are mixed so differently, as yeah. if to be opposing, like, the crest and the, the trow of the wave, so to speak. But, um, but even beyond that, it's like he's writing and, and recording his verses in his garage while dreaming of, like, the giant amphitheater which manifests itself in the choruses, like like a daydream or something. Like, it's just, the mixing is so stark it, in it that. It does feel fanciful yeah. to, to a point, and so I definitely get that. I definitely see that. All right, let's move on to track five, Goodbye Angels. First off, this is another track that starts off kind of softly, mm-hmm. and as an extension of my comment on the last track, lyrics are one of the first things I noticed here, and once again, that's rare for me, considering Red Hot Chili Peppers, and, you know, considering music in general. I tend yeah. to focus on music first, but the reasons for it is that the music is just a little bit softer. But <laughs> the second reason for it is uh, the first line of the song, Suicide a month before I met you. Deep just- regrets, I could never forget you. Somehow you made your way to my decade. Ayo, 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 my girl. <laughs> it's 
it's so powerful in just four lines. Three if you don't really count the final line. Which I is can't even forget. Word. I totally yeah, I know. can't. No, I yeah. can't. Well, that's that. just him being him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it, 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 there's an impact, and I think the solemn start of the song really sets up that impact nicely, like Steve was saying. You know, I mean, anyone you who... You can't not turn your head when someone says suicide, right. even in lyrics. Especially I mean, if you've known someone who's committed suicide or know someone who knows someone. Like, if yeah. you're connected to that in any way, there's an impact that's immediate. And it's also portrayed more along the lines of Give It Away. This one feels like it's the most rap rock oriented so far on the album. Maybe in the lyrical delivery, but not in the tone. It's a little bit slower in the delivery. It feels like if Give It Away lost about 10%, 15% of its speed, it would have been something along these lines. So I'm really enjoying this because it allows him a lot of inflection changes. It allows him a lot of pronunciation that you know I'm drawn to, and it allows him to really accent and unusual words in unusual places that don't let you just focus on that word suicide. You're not focusing on that. It's not depressing right up front because of that word. I was a little focused on yeah, it. Yeah, I would disagree. It had to do also focus. It had to do attention. sort of with the setup again. Uh, Matt said, um, you know, not in tone, and that's the like not rap rock in tone, and that's the thing here. Like the music is all pretty basic to start off, but it's another one of those giant crescendos. We're slowly building again, kind of like in track two, except that I kind of enjoyed the build in track two a little bit more if we're playing favorites. Um, See, I disagree though. I feel like the build in this track is I don't know for me, I resonated strong. Oh, come on. Do you remember track two? I that do remember track with two. With the piano yes. rolling. No, I'm with Matt on like, this one. Really? The reason I like this intro better is because the vocals are doing your verse work with not really feeling like an intro, but the instrumentation is building and building around it. It gets till we very get tense, to, yeah. Till we get to the pre-chorus where it releases. Actually, the pre-chorus is still within that build. It's the chorus that's the release. And I just... It, it's it's it, the whine in the pre-chorus that actually does a great like exclamation point on that build to really make the chorus very cathartic, very enjoyable to get the explosion that it, that it is of instrumentation. But what I really like here is that, you know, the, the verse work is doing something completely different lyrically than the instrumentation is. They are on, the, on their own path, but they mesh so well. Right, because in a way, the the music actually, like the opening sequence could be interpreted as an intro, right? right. Musically, because it's just a giant crescendo and we don't really feel like we've arrived yet um, until uh, the, the chorus, a pre-chorus, I believe. But but lyrically, clearly, it's all verse material. Yeah. And then when we eventually get to the second verse, this is where it's a little bit different because right. it's not using the intro crescendo that we had before. Now we actually have like some electronica like this this synthesizer is kind of you know sound a little bit scratchy a little bit uh gurgly and that was kind of unexpected and meanwhile the guitar has stepped down here it's used more for color just these like airy little flourishes here and there in many ways the first verse that crescendo ending with a, a pre-course which actually doesn't show up later in the track with that pre-course that was really like showcase with that whining guitar the guitar was being strangled by what was going on right there well that guitar gets released and it just meanders in this second verse instead the bass is is being curtailed is trying to be strangled by what's going on and it's not doing a very good job because well you can't you can't put a grip on fleet you can't you can't you can't hold him down <laughs> can't hold him back but what happens in the first crescendo the first verse and how it culminates with the chorus like i said first the second verse doesn't have a pre-chorus, and it kind of ends up in the same position. 
I'm not really uh, as much of a fan revisiting the chorus. It, it it didn't have nearly the same impact. It didn't have nearly the same release as it I, did the first time around. I disagree completely. I think that the, the words of the chorus alone hold up the impact. And even though instrumentally the release, you know, may be different, I feel like the emotion behind the words that he's saying have the power enough to carry me. Say goodbye, my love. I can see it in your soul. Say goodbye, my love. Thought that I could make you whole. Let your lover sail. Death was made to fail. I mean, it's just those words are so powerful, especially if you've ever dealt with loss or anything well, like this. I, yeah, all right. Here's the thing. I believe, and we kind of have danced around. We haven't even really touched it like uh, theme-wise yet. But I know I read, actually, that a lot of these tr- songs tend to circle around the fact that uh, lead singer was in relationship with a girl who was much younger, obviously. But that's bound to happen when you're in your early 50s and you're in a band and you're obviously very popular. But the, there's the thing. Some of these lyrics, you know, it, are straight on point here. Favor some, way too young, slave to none, way too young. That was in the pre-chorus that we really mm-hmm. only got once. Um, and it, it actually has made appearances in this album a little bit before where he makes references to that. And so I think a lot of it is not just, you know, loss, but maybe realizing like the, the, the taboo of it, I guess. It could be. But Even I mean, though, song... of course, he, he made it clear in the beginning that, you know, that's that, you know, she's number one. So, you know, does it really matter, I guess, in the and face of love? And that might be the whole point. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but it doesn't me, sound like it worked. I don't what, know. What I'm resonating the most with the line thought that I could make you whole this idea that when someone's suffering you think you can do everything to fix them and that's not always the case and yeah, I think true. that's powerful messaging here whether it's about suicide the loss of a relationship or whatever else I took it a little bit differently I thought it was more of like uh, two parts of the same being kind of imagery going on right there I thought I could make you whole and that this relationship com- you complete me well, yeah, kind but, of mentality but it could be both I mean, well no, abs- no no fixing that's what I'm saying I don't feel like he's trying to fix her or anything like that I don't think there's anything wrong with what's going on on. It's more of the idea that, yeah, they, they thought they could be together, and it's to I mean, the detriment it, of it that. It honestly could mm. be both. It's it's so nonspecific. I'm just yeah. pointing my point right, of view right, right. versus your point right. of view. I mean, that, no argument. <laughs> the idea here is that there's definitely loss and suffering of some kind, and, and it's I think it's very palpable in the words alone, and that the instrumentation does nothing but support it. So that's where I am with this song. Yeah, it's just a lot of you know vague metaphors here that circle around the same idea. Sticky fingers find the way to take her, crumble up another piece of paper. I know your days are numbered when it comes to ayo, ayo, this life. Yeah. I think that poetically I'm really on board with specifically what he's saying here. Not that I wasn't before, but I'm really focusing on it. And then, I mean, even when we get to the bridge and then the bass solo towards the end of the song, first of all, oh. we get a bass solo. All right, well, actually, all right, first let me talk about uh, the bridge. Because okay, the bridge sure. comes right before that. And yes. the bridge I was really in love with because it starts off as kind of an instrumental. It's the same yeah. tone that I was in love with earlier, the uh, kind of the same guitar tone, sort of 80s oriented. Um, and the guitar and the bass together here are actually as warm as can be. But I really like this cool little circular hemiola pattern that it's got going here. This like da 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 like three on four thing. I I I don't know. Combined with the tone, those two things together was just like I I love any sectional idea here that is based more maybe in the music than in the overall theme. They just have really good ideas and they probably string them together any which way and they would probably still be awesome. They're chock full of ideas. 
because, case in point, we have another awesome idea following that. The crazy bass solo went around, uh, the, which actually everything strips away and you're just left with the bass. Mm-hmm. And then following that, around like 3 minutes 33 seconds, you get kind of a reprise of the crescendo from the beginning alongside these like screeching guitars. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's more all out rock. But it yeah. was just this phenomenal, unexpected outro that... It throws me for a loop, even though it shouldn't at this point. Because yeah. I they, they do it almost all the time. Well, not all the time, but it, it's... It's frequent it's, enough that it shouldn't be blindsiding, but still, I think it's because of how powerful it, the song was and that moment was that it still, it does that. It affects you. And Plus because was, they're always impressive and because funk. Because, <laughs> well, no, it wasn't just funk. It was it was a borderline thrashing. The guitar it was. was yeah. the, the guitar wasn't smooth. Well, yeah, it when we exit mean. the bass and at 3.33, it is more just thrashing, right? Yeah, the combination of the smoother bass and the mean guitar was a, was a very nice little idea. And... Put you know beauty in context of just ugliness, not like really ugliness, but maybe natural ideas, something that's imperfect. And, and part I of like it the combination of the two. May have to do part of it may have to do with just the fact that it's three ideas that were strung together back to back right there. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Each one separately would have been like, oh, that's a cool thing, right? But then and then two of them, that's like, oh, all right, all right, now yeah. So three of them, it's like, oh, great. I wish the whole, it was a whole song just based around these three ideas. Um, it almost, I'm not going to say it devalues the earlier segments. Like, I admitted the, the choruses weren't, like, 100% up my alley, but I don't know. I just... I feel like it just punctuates a really good song, in yeah, my opinion. Uh, yeah, and that's, I guess, the note I'll leave it on. Track six, Sick Love. So here we get, I mentioned Island a little before, we get some Island funk here. Like, funk reggae. Funk reggae, if reggae you will. Reggae funk. Like, this is... Reggae. This is... <laughs> runk. <laughs> I like runk. No, I like, I like runk. We're runk. With runk. We're runk. Um, this is making love music, absolutely from the moment it starts. It, it's got this kind of rhythm that you want to move your body to, so um, it feels sexual to me. I'm going to just turn that down a notch. Uh, making out music. Making out, okay, yeah. It's, it's You're playful. on an island, you're on a beach, there's other people around, no, that wouldn't true. be polite. That's true. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that it would Making stop. out, that's fine. Right. You know, they, they, they expect that, but uh, all out, you know. Ah. I would say th- there is a little bit of an innocence to it, so I would agree that it feels more like fooling around music. Yeah. And, uh, and I get swept up on it right away. This is something a little more superficial, I feel like, but I'm okay with it. I like it. I get wrapped up in it. Yeah, I had the superficial thought initially, yeah. and there's also some things in here that, like, remind me of other things, apart from simply the fact that, it, you know, our, you get the, rug, the reggae the, feel. The runk. The runk. The runk. <laughs> but it also reminds me, lyrically, just because there's all these mentions of California and the way he sings, and the backdrop kind of it feels like almost Hotel California in a way. Like, that's, Eagle like, te- texturally, yeah, I felt like that's where he was going for but melodically it was something different because melodically the the phrasing here is almost to a t benny and the jets yeah no i noticed that as well and when you brought it, it, it up it, it, it like cemented it the stands whole out in moments i feel like the whole song doesn't sound like benny and the jets but for sure in moments i hear melodically it. Yeah, again yeah. you got it we're partitioning here yeah, yeah, just yeah. so little stray things you know leap out and i'm like huh that's interesting um but getting back to your point on whether or not it's superficial um that's kind of a complex thing here because yeah. i found myself enjoying this so much in its entirety less because of the, like you didn't have the sectional variances that you had in the last track like where i was like eh, a little bit more down with the right. uh, the, the intros or the verses than the, the choruses uh, it depended 
Um, but here, the entire thing was back to a point I made several tracks ago, and just the simple fact that they're a really tight band, mm-hmm. and they own this track front to back, and it's not necessarily simple stuff. It only no. you, you perceive it in a simple way because of how it's usually applied in pop culture. That's not saying there's no differences between the verse and chorus work and the instrumentation or anything like that, because the choruses brighten up, they lighten up, they crystallize yeah, again, which is something that they, they do. That's just right. what they do. When choruses show up, it's almost inevitable, not just in Red Hot, but in so many other musicians, that it gets brighter, it gets grander. But here, it it kind of takes a step back and loses a lot of the the funk elements and instead becomes just a nice, a breath of fresh air into the the makeout session. Yeah, and the track is not stagnant. You just no. reminded me, of course, the chorus, you know, it brings in that 80s, like, synth string that starts bleeding over everything, yeah. which is a little bit unexpected in its own right. And then, of course, finally, the solo. Yeah. The incredible, like, piercing, boxy, guitar waveform solo that uh, it almost sounds like a keyboard solo, actually, like, yeah. using pitch bends, but it's actually a guitar. Remember, guitars have pedals. They can do things, too. They can do some freaky <laughs> yes, shit. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's, it's like a buzzing fly, but but it's 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 not annoying like a fly. I, I'm trying to think of another way to term it, but it buzzes in your ear and flows in and out, and it feels like it does gain distance and then come back at you, gain some more distance and then come back at you. I like the effect that's going on. Let's face it. Sometimes music is just about being, well, number one, about being different and about being, I guess, just the loudest guy in the room sometimes. Well, yeah, sometimes. But, but I think sometimes. also here the thing that it's got going for it is a good groove and it's just kind of fun like there's not much more to it than you're just enjoying it and that's what I meant by superficial is not the fact that it's vapid but the fact that you don't need much more than to go this is a fun track I really like it it's not goodbye angels which was you know yeah, a, a, they, a very complicated I idea think this was a nice I know I feel like up. I'm betraying my analysis here like especially considering yeah. like some of the oh shut up <laughs> because of some of the albums that we had you know back in like the 190s I'm gonna start referring to that as an era here yeah. considering some <laughs> right. of the tracks the, the albums that we had back to back here but of course you know they get very super super artistic and you're definitely pushing music in different directions this is one thing that this album is so far really not doing at all but they're just owning a style that they're incredibly familiar with and that for 30 years it's like they never really took their style for granted yeah. they kept on honing it and honing it and honing it and this is the stuff that really leaps out to me in the, just the, the quality of what's being presented so after when you consider all that and you start throwing around words like superficial it's like eh shut up <laughs> right no it's a fair <laughs> enjoy point. the song well, and those are mo- the moments in which I get that way yeah and I, I'm not usually that guy right but I think we're getting something here that's familiar to us from when we reviewed Weezer, in the, except without the bad albums. Like, this is just the consistent good of their sound that they've honed, which we com- commented on with Weezer. But, you know, Weezer had some failures. But if you're going to bring that up, i got to bring up Stadium Arcadium, which, while I think it actually did win a Grammy, it didn't go over very well with a lot of its fans because, like, it was one Fair of those point, super long get... albums. Sure, but still, I hate... Hurley with a burning passion. I don't hate any chili peppers with a burning passion, so there's that. No Weezer arguments not here today. Moving on. My point overall is that uh, this album killed Old Man Steve. There you go. Well, good. (laughs) If only temporarily. He'll be back. He'll be in zombie form. That's right. But let's talk about the lyrics a little bit. So here, I think, also is where we get a little bit of the kind of fun innocence in the song. I mean, the chorus, there's not a lot to it. Rivers get connected so much stronger than expected. Well, sick love comes to wash us away. Prisons of perspective... 
how your vision gets corrected and sick love is my modern cliche. Ooh. It's you, you, there is some messaging there, there is some meaning there, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of throw off and cast away and just fanciful yeah. in its in its own right. I, this is a case the flow where it's great for that fanciful idea. Yeah. This is a case where I would kind of lean in more to what Steve says typically and kind of say that the lyrics kind of wash past me and I'm more just kind of enjoying the groove overall, but I think they work really well together in kind of creating just a genuinely pleasurable experience. I guess, I mean, I guess, and, and the funny thing is that it's all maybe a little bit of a uh, of a dreamlike state, you know, because he's imagining himself, I mean, sick love. You don't say sick love when everything's all perfect. There's always that little thing there that is well, taboo. Well, love and sick, that... when you flip it, is usually based in innocence. True, but then he would have said love sick. That's true. I think there's there's meaning there. I know you're probably right that that's the right. pun, yeah, the yeah, inherent yeah. pun there. Well, but, of I course, that may go back to the theme that I said earlier. If, for instance, there's anything taboo about what's going on, then he's kind of addressing this head-on, and, uh, you know, sick love is my modern cliche. In other words, I fall into these traps. I'm not perfect. Um, but does it really matter in the end? You know, and meanwhile, uh, they're just California dreaming is a petty bond. LA's screaming, you're my home. Vanity is blasted, but it's rarely fair. I could smell the Prozac in your pretty hair. Got a lot of friends, but is anyone there? See, there's see, there's little bits of like a jaded nature to this, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe he's at the I don't care anymore. And that's why the music sounds the way it does. It's almost you know, carefree. carefree. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if we're going to talk about carefree and things that kind of wash over you, let's move on to track seven, which is Go Robot. That was that was a little bit mean. Go Robot is still a fun track. Then you yeah. just have to go along. No, no, and I, it wasn't meant as a detriment <laughs> to the track. In fact, I retitled this track for my purposes yeah. Funk Robot. I don't want to keep like apologizing for these tracks also. You know, no you just have to go along. For, you just have to, you know. But here's the, here's, all right, uh, the obvious. Let's get the obvious out of the way. The drums and the bass here in the beginning, solid as a rock. Yeah. Solid as a rock. I'm, I'm looking hard for I really am. Yeah. Um, it's also, in general, apart from this, a kind of a mellower song. Um, Smokier, if, moodier. All right. Yeah. But here's the thing. Since I'm, you know, looking for faults, and since we are doing what we're doing here today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address what I feel, even if sometimes, like I said earlier, my head and my heart are in two different places. Um, so far, it may be... And this is kind of a general comment on the album, not necessarily this track, a little bit on this track. But it might be that they've, like been pretty form safe on this album safe Mm -hmm. in terms of like the pop structure versus chorus you know pre-chorus but in that case that means that this could really be the best test imaginable to see just how far my pop threshold really goes my threshold that is for like standard form because i usually say that it's not terrible if everything else is solid right but we rarely get those examples because for instance case in point last week not everybody is hot 100 like you find it like pop structure is and form is only the tip of the iceberg there. Yeah. There are so many other problems. But here we actually have a situation where it's like everything else is really awesome. In yeah. that case that is left with my, my one major critique and that makes me consider this in that light. Well like how far will that really go when we get to our, toward our wrap ups considering that you know they work really well within the form. They're not really advancing it but everything else is mostly pretty solid. Well I would say for this track like it's the first time on the album that I am absolutely do not remember the lyrics. Like reading them off to the left of my notes I really don't remember any of them. What I hooked onto here was that this was Red Hot Chili Peppers doing a dance song, but the kind of dance song that would be in the a 80s. Mellower so dance mellower, song. like you would kind of groove a dirty, to it. Like a dirtier to, dance song. I, well, yeah, well, a little grinding. How dirty it's dance, actually kind of a spacey and, track yeah. in its yeah. way. It's got those, those little 80s motifs. But it's got I, the synth runs down the scale in the pre-chorus. I still kind of liked I like I liked this overall, but maybe oh, me I'm too. a little... Absolutely. 
I'm a little bit more critical here because we're kind of in the middle of the album and it's starting to, you know, maybe just, I don't want to say stagnate, but in well, a, in a vague well. sense, I feel like this album is so far like all systems normal. Yeah. All systems functioning normally. Well, um, I feel like though this changes. Right, wait, one, more, one more thing. Okay. If this album was a tachometer, sure we fluctuate, but we never really go into the red. Catch my drift. Okay. Sure. Yeah, nice. No, no. Good. What you should have said. I like your metaphor. Thank you. I like it. Thank yeah. you. It's good. I, I like the cut of your jib. You were going to say, Matt. Um, <laughs> I think that what this song really represents for me is a place where I'm enjoying what they do, and they're doing something a little different here because it does feel like a kind of mellower dance song, which I don't hear a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers songs doing, and so I enjoyed that. We even like around two minutes and forty-two seconds I, get a legit instrumental dance break. I guess because while I actually see them as incredibly danceable, like I said, they killed Old Man Steve. He's going to be dancing to this, right? right, right like right. nonstop. Well, I meant not, dance not, song not just in this song, but many other songs. But it's true that they don't model their songs as if they're intended for the floor. It's like they could just just as easily be used for that purpose. Well, right. I think but for they're, me, they're this even, feels their more... headphones listens primarily. Right. Well, I think this feels more like a general dance song as opposed to a funk dance song. You know, there's funky elements here, mm-hmm. but it feels closer to a slower paced pop dance song, and that's what's a little different for me. And but I, again, uh, based. Don't take what I said at the beginning of the track to heart too powerfully because, again, I do really like this track. I don't think we've lost any ground here. I think Steve said it best. This song for me is an all systems normal track, and I don't really have much more to say beyond that. Yeah. yeah. Look at the bass, listen to the bass, groove with the bass, and yeah. <laughs> you're going to enjoy this out, uh, this song. Yeah, and that's also, I don't want to um, insinuate that this track kind of is where you know that that point that i made earlier about you know the pop threshold and that's this is kind of just that middle ground state i i don't want to insinuate that this is where the the album leaves us off on and that we just kind of coast to the end because we often have that critique of albums and i don't necessarily believe that's this case we get surprises later on well so, yeah uh, i mean the this next... is just that comment i'm throwing here in the, in the right place to make the comment right but the next track also i feel like takes us back to what we were doing earlier track eight feasting on the flowers it has that kind of red hot i, I would agree that still systems are normal but it has the red hot chili pepper strut that feels like the earlier part of this record. Yeah, but there's a thing about feasting on the flowers that also brings to mind another motif that they set up earlier. Actually, two motifs. One in which one the, the kind of reggae style that they do every now and then on this album. And that kind of is what the beginning of this track is. And second of all, the Beatles reference. So in many ways, we, I don't know if we like redlined, but I think we switched tachometers. At times, we just <laughs> like swap them out for different ones, and then we're working within that little strange reference point of theirs. Um, you know, sue them for making Beatles references it's not a bad reference to make and no, they do it pretty effortlessly i mean also because here we get the lyrical pace that i really liked on the earlier parts of the album the where he's not quite singing not quite rapping and it's some of uh, actually my more enjoyable content on the album i'm i'm a big fan of some of the <laughs> the phrases that come out of this we were moving in the world expanding your realities a force of nature on the verge commanding abnormalities Last thing I remember, there was a ringing in my selfish ears. 26 a number, much too small for someone's golden years. I mean, he's being very upfront about it, but I I really like his description of his relationship right now. The imagery is also really strong here. Like, you you feel kind of like you're seeing this, you know, kind of play kind of before your eyes or maybe seeing this kind of moment happening in front of you it feels very physical to me even though I can't quite describe the actual physicality well it is strange considering that you know we're beginning with that whole like reggae feel amidst also these like strange here's another weird motif it's just that da 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 and that comes back several times throughout the end of this and I think it's like the guitar uh, doubled with the bass 
um, and maybe doubled with something else. I'm not entirely sure, it, but it's got a it's got a lot of reverb to it. It's 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 an interesting, very very simple. But that's just the point that they keep going back to here. That's your environment. Well, yeah, it's got you know a very physical soundscape kind of structure to it. Like you can picture things. Maybe the things you're picturing aren't super specific, but you're kind of starting to see things in the physical realm. It's like an abstract 1970s era music video. Yeah. <laughs> When oh, they when they hadn't quite okay. gotten there yet. Oh, okay, yeah. that's a very specific. That is very specific. Yeah, I went. I tried to go abstract. I got specific. <laughs> also, there's something that happens here that that even cements that from the lyrical point of view because the chorus shows up, and during its second stanza, we get something that is is definitely an oddball for Red Hot to do so far on this album. Feasting on the flowers so fast and young. And when fast and young gets said during that first chorus, he's actually being backed up with another vocalist, singing in tandem. This is not something that is really present in in, in like any of his work. You get a solo vocalist it happened almost earlier screaming on the rap- into the wind. This is different. This is actual connection and a lot more texture just from the fact there's another person with them. It happened once earlier on the record, yeah. but it was a very brief moment. It's not common, for it's, sure. It's an interesting track for inflection and, and uh, just vocal style and the way he mixes like, the vocalist and also the way in which he was sort of lisping the first stanza there. Everything they said to bet everything. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of just yeah. mumbles that together. It's strange. Um, it's, it's, I do when I don't, well, I do when I don't. Well, actually, that's kind of common for him. He always kind of like cuts off the ends of words. I forget what they call it in uh, linguistics terms, but it would be like a little stop or something like that. Right. I think that may be the, the it's, it's represented by an apostrophe. And he just like kind of like lets it hang. I do when don't, don't. It's not don't, it's don't. Yeah. Well, and also I think that this part that John's talking about is where that Beatles-esque vibe that you're talking about really yeah, that's following, in. Yeah, following the, that, that next chorus there. Um, it's not just the it's not just what follows the chorus, it's how this chorus ends that is so perfect yeah. to allow a Beatles-esque Mr. Well, Kite transition. Right. Two minutes, three seconds. Uh, we start with off just like a, a, a McCartney piano line just uh, kind of tapping chords away, not terribly complex, but then it's like Eric Clapton showed up to play, as he did in yeah. While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And it's just, they, they change the pace here. It's, so, yeah. it's kind of jaunty in a very Beatles way again. So, I don't know, make no mistake. My point is not that we, like, switched gears, like I said before, like, switched tachometers, but, like, because we have had this thread. But it was just a really creative and unexpected choice. Yeah. Once I, again, they get away with it because well, they're the chili they, they don't just get away with it. They set it up. The line they that did. immediately precedes this is beautiful for what happens. The next dimension show me in. And the way he just he just expands his voice to do it, to just yeah. proclaim the next dimension show me in. Boom! Something completely different. I love this setup. It's it's almost a cheeky joke for the track. I well, love it. And I, I think I where the I strength of the it. imagery and the soundscape I was talking about earlier really is honed in at that moment because he's kind of focusing you to take that moment and then you do and you get this really great section of the song. I, it's, it's almost a... Uh... It's almost a cheap shot. Just yeah. almost. So almost close. because of the fact that they, they do this so frequently and change it up. And, you know, this was part of, I think, my critique in um, that, that you guys didn't really mention too much. But, like, back when we did uh, both They Might Be Giants um, albums, Nanobots back in episode 38 and uh, Glean back in episode 145, um, both of those albums, like, They Might Be Giants tend to be kind of a little bit guilty of being impulsive. But it's always impulsive in such a self-satisfying way that it's hard to stay mad. And in some ways, in some ways, this is kind of what they're doing. But this is just, 
I'm just on the edge of calling myself out as as this being bullshit because, of course, the fact that it's all very well composed anyway. I don't know. I think I think that there'd be a lot of people who would just choose not to focus on these things and to just say it's cool and leave it at that. But we're crash chords, so I have to say it. We're not cool. I feel terrible. I don't no, think we're not. No, cool. we're pretty. Yeah, okay. No, we're not cool. <laughs> just getting that out there. All right, track nine, Detroit. Interesting. Um, so. Steve alluded to having a lull in the album, and while I don't know that the Chili Peppers in their bones can make bad music, I will say that this song, at its start, is just not what I was looking for. What I mean oh, by I that is... I disagree with that. In the beginning of this track, I thought it has more attitude. I see, actually did This wouldn't be uh, an example of that my aforementioned point, for instance. Fair point. I guess for me, more what I'm saying is that I'm getting something that was a little unexpected from the start of this album, and they're hearkening back to something that I didn't really want to go to. The guitar slide and kind of gritty nature of this beginning part feels old, old school Chili Peppers, a raw sound, and... I don't know, it just felt like a strange transition from what we had been getting. But you gotta look at the artistic level and Detroit. I mean, just if you if you were gonna look at just the jokes and meanness people are about Detroit, the gritty, really in your face guitar, a deeper bass undercurrent, that kind of explains Detroit has become Detroit, the yeah. joke of, of America to kind of what New York City was in back in the seventies. Yeah. You know? Like that's the we view Detroit the same way, we dismiss it in the same way. I don't know if this is related. It, but the guys are from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, so perhaps Detroit was a common place that they used to go to. Maybe they lived there at various times throughout their life. All of this is is, uh, is uh, conjecture. I don't know, to be honest, but he speaks about it in a very personal way. Find me in the suburbs and the shadow of decay, rolling rings of rubber, and the band begins to play. Am I on the right or left side of your brain? Can you see the rising of old yesterday's remains? Funkadelic said it best. I think you know the rest. Time don't stand a chance against this motor madness. So, of course, you have the, the Detroit references. We get more Detroit references later on, but, of course, the reference to it being a, a, a car, an auto town. Um... But the the all right. So John's earlier point, of course, is the atmosphere here. The atmosphere is pretty gritty, and I think that made a lot of sense. And I didn't even really need the Detroit references uh, for that to make sense to me musically, like on sure. the tone of the album. I I have always felt that you know Red Hot Chili Peppers, even though they've evolved in their songwriting ability, I don't think they ever really abandoned certain styles. They always just kind of thread them through their their entire existence as a band. And so when they brought back this gritty opening uh, guitar, which is kind of like a, a it's like a crackhead with a twitch. It's not doing a lot. It has a little bit of a, a little bit of dissonance to it, and then the bass steps in with this like. Uh, this little like triplet run. It's it it actually reminds me of immigrant song by Led Zeppelin and that kind of like off kilter uh, environment. Meanwhile, he's also sort of singing like he's Ozzy Osbourne at times, especially in the chorus. Especially in the chorus. Don't so you... you have a lot of you know kind of off kilter angles, and he all uses it to convey Detroit, the city. I think it's mostly problems. it's mostly the fact that. We get settings so readily in Red Hot, but there tend to be beach settings, bright settings, sunny settings. Or when they are darker settings, they still aren't really, like, dangerous the way this track seems to be coming off yeah. as. And the fact that there's now danger in a Red Hot Chili Pepper song is a little bit off-putting. And I could definitely see Matt's point of view. I mean, my point of view is mostly just that... Intro being interesting and a little different aside, and like, I don't want to harsh a song for being a little grittier and more kind of rock and roll at the bare bones of it. I think my biggest problem is that as the song goes on, 
and then harkening back to the beginning, link listening to it, it, it does, does not feel, change as much. It feels a little repetitive. And again, well, then that's the point where I'd agree. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. like, as far as the opening, like they could have gone anywhere with that, which that's means true. if you're just talking about the beginning, then I they still had me, which is why I keep kind of deflecting the points about like, oh, they they went that direction, interesting. Oh, they went that direction, interesting. They're all sides of Red Hot Chili Peppers no, yeah. that I'm both familiar with, and I also expect them to throw me little surprises. And the, in in doing so, they fit within like a. Uh, 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 a spectrum that they created that everyone kind of knows them for while also expecting them to go to the extreme sides of that spectrum at times and also switching tachometers, like I said before. Like, they, they do all of these things. They don't shock me, but they always impress me. Well, I think my biggest problem with this song is just, lyrically, I'm not pulling the story out just by listening. I got it more when we read the lyrics. And also... Again, it, it repeats on itself quite a bit, especially the chorus, and I don't know, I just, I felt like I was taken out of it a little bit. I, I don't admit, th- don't I, you worry, baby, I'm like Detroit, I'm crazy. Don't you worry, baby, I'm like Detroit, I'm crazy. I admit that part got a little bit tiresome. Uh, it's just a preview of the ending. I thought that it was interesting that the very last chorus, uh, he adds in the phrase, everything's so hazy, I'm like Detroit, I'm crazy, I'm like Detroit, I'm crazy everything so hazy um just throwing in that like as if there's a little bit of uncertainty there or maybe he's as unsure about his future as detroit's future because you know the city isn't exactly saved yet right you know it's recovering that's a process but you don't really get that from the music or from the lyrics listening it's more from when you read it you like i guess in the course a little but like the 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 narrative the uncertainty is lost in the song on me and so musically it's i like it i just don't love it as much as the other eight tracks that I loved. And so that's, I think, the dichotomy. And it's so it's first, a little like, kind of a minor point in this grand scheme. In my, to my ears, it's like the first just good track on the album, right. which is, okay, no problem with just getting good tracks sure. on an album. You can't really complain too much. But in context with everything else that we've gotten, it's, it is a little bit of a letdown because... Uh, my biggest complaint for this is while we do get that chorus and it's a nice all rise, it's the fact that it's not just repetitive, but it doesn't integrate anything. There was nothing to integrate post-chorus when you go right. back into the verse. And that's something that was a draw that was just like kind of standard fare. As Steve said, they do things very, very systematically, but they do them so well. One of the things they do is they like to take their first chorus pick out those elements and integrate it into their second verse. They didn't do that here. It was more of the same, and that's my disappointment. Yeah, that's where it really just got to me. Here, I think it was actually the lyrical message that he was going for. In yeah. that case, I, I, I do believe it was a success. I think it's an interesting metaphor. I would never have expected it to be phrased that way, but uh, yeah, it's, you don't hear songs about Detroit too much. No, no, and it's nice to get a song about Detroit or insert generic American city. I mean, it doesn't have to be Detroit. Well, no, it be, does. It does. It for really, this, it does. It really for this does song, today. it absolutely for has to be For the references, but I'm talking the texture. The texture could be a lot of different Americans. Sure, but I think areas. it's really yeah. well. Yeah, I think. In terms of, like I, like I said, Detroit is to today's culture what New York City was back in the 70s. It is symbolic of mm. decay. And I hate to, I hate gonna, to, I hate to call out a city in that way, but because of, you know, the, the bankruptcy and everything, I'm sad I'm to say that Steve is here. I what think people this know is, it as lately. This is very close. It will come back. Up. I believe it will come back, and that's why I believe there's a lot of emotion here attached to his town, and yeah. then uncertainty of its future, and probably its future will be uh, gentrification. So I have, I have uh, prob- you know, the right level of gentrification, not the too much level, yeah. you know, where we're going to even out and we're going to find that good spot for all Detroit people. All right, track 10, This Ticonderoga. Um, so, st- I, I'm, I have a theory that John liked this track. 
Uh, Ish? mm, I liked Ish. I liked parts because... First, let me admit, I'll give you one for the point of tone variance. This is the only one where I thought was a little bit out of place for the album. Even though, even though it's still within the purview of what they've previously done. They had punk influence. They absolutely did. And I would argue that it is connected to the album because I feel like there's an erratic (laughs) nature to the playing at the beginning of this song that feels almost punk-esque that Chad's drumming previews in a previous track when I had said it felt kind of erratic. So Well, let's put it this way. For for the first minute, uh, for the first minute and four seconds specifically, I was not crazy. Like, this was my least favorite favorite section of the album. I would agree. And I believe that it made it my least favorite song as a whole. I would because also agree. they were they they dominated good portions of this of this track. Yeah. Um that's despite of course the section that follows a minute 4. And we get actually the the the, the verse and the chorus all within that 1/4 and then starting around well starting at 1 104 we get this like strange shift to the 1970s. Yeah, I, it's, it's I, so odd. Like these are this is the most stark shift on the entire record. You know, the the intro and the the verse, the beginning verse chorus, it, it feels very gritty, even more so than the previous track. Like I said, it feels closer to punk. It feels much dirtier and in your face and loud, it, almost all over the place. It feels a little more juvenile, and this is where I'm going to make the arguments of the art of this track. Yeah. The combination of this really gritty and this sort of mellowed out, it feels like it's the two individuals of this relationship that we've come to know. Perhaps. The young, more impulsive, more still got the fire of life in her, uh, younger ind- individual, and the mellowed out, I mean, Golden Years was a reference on a previous track. He's, you know, calming down. He's getting to be that old old fogey that you know steve said is gone for now but he's that he's that i'm i'm calm i'm mellow i'm a larger force he's he's a little more set in his ways he's not prone to these outbursts that said the dichotomy between the two is really abrasive i'm not I'm, I I love the parts individually. I do like the rock out. Rock out is great. Let's go for it. But the three chord guitar and the three beat drum is a little bit too repetitive. The mellow side, it's great, but it's kind of All obvious right. with the violin show up when the piano shows up. Yeah, that they're trying to, you know, they're, they're just, just they're that's, just that was not themes. a composition. Yeah. That was not a great moment for me compositionally. But all right, let's go back to your earlier point here because looking at the theme, this is some pretty interesting lyrics. Uh, we were all just soldiers in this battlefield of life. One thing that's for certain is my burning appetite. Step inside the emotional ride. I could use some company. Illusionary is so scary. I call my best friend Flea. This Ticonderoga is an element that shines, connected by the great unknown. Between us, there are lines. Yes, I told her that. I'm the older cat. Can I scratch your back all day? I would not have it any other way. But right there, yes, I told her that. That's where the shift occurs. That's where the mellow, you know, nice, calm, older voice shows up. It's longer vocals, but clipped sentences. Mm. The phrasing is a lot shorter, and it's more to the point. It's less impassioned about light, and more just trying to enjoy the simplicity. There's a lot about him just simply trying to be on this album. Yeah. But, you know, there's actually a line uh, a little bit later on, on the album that, uh, well, two tracks from now, so I have to preview it. But it was a line that stuck with me. I'm going to harp on it then. And it's time has its, time will get its way. 
Um, like, what a great way to put it. Like, yeah. the, it's the great equalizer against all of us is time. And he's fighting it. We're all fighting it. Um, and certainly it, you, it kind of warps your perspective, especially I imagine when you're in a band and, you know, you're surrounded by youth and the expectation of all these various things that you should be. And yet time is not necessarily allowing that for you. But yet you're still you. You're still you. You still feel what you feel. You still like who you like. And I, I think that's kind of what he's getting at here. And he's he's been circling that point in just about every single track in uh, various ways. Right. But I think my biggest problem with this track and like my final thought on it is the reason I like it, I don't like it, but I understand it, is those reasons and the fact that I think it being a little scattered is important is on purpose. It wants to feel split and divided. And while I don't necessarily enjoy what it's doing here, I get for the arc and theme of the album, it, it still fits. It doesn't feel, you know, like it's out of place. Why it went mature. It, I mean, it, immature, excuse me. It might have been a little bit more palpable if, like, the, the calmer side tempered the chaos or the chaos infected the calm. Uh, just having one reference the other and not be so separate from one another I think that, that, that still would have taken away from what the song is trying to convey in its structure I think it's intentional yeah but having like, there's two ways you could look at it one is that it is the just the two different individuals and the other one is it's him the way he feels for her as opposed to the way he feels separate from her in either case having them so separate just makes them feel like they're just never gonna mesh well I think that might be part of the message it might not be but it, the the lack of meshing just makes it feel a little bit doomed. Well, another thing that feels like it could be part of the message, but but also might not be, is something that we all, uh, get in the beginning of track eleven, encore, and that's the uh, references to nostalgia. Which again, you could also view track ten through those those uh, lenses. Like I said, immaturity. It could be yeah. a le- looking through a lens of something the uh, style he used to play in, but doesn't play in so much anymore. And now here we get those references again, back to the Beatles. This time actually citing it. So we're not just noticing Beatles. I believe. A lot of this was intentional. He says in the beginning of Encore, Listen to the Beatles and the sound of laughing Ed McMahon. We got high. Educated by a world so full of self and lost in space. Too much pride. Cosmonauts and dirty thoughts are juggling the juggernaut, Soviet spy. Every now and then, when I remember to befriend the little things in life. That would be an argument right there for the just trying to be. You know, essentially you're left with all these memories of your life. Yeah, you're left with all these memories of your life. And all of it just seems like some kind of like constant presence, you know, and you can't yeah. really reconcile that with, you know, holy shit, I'm in my early 50s, it's 2016. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. I, I am seeing this connection. Let's talk about the music here. Uh, once again, phenomenal tone here, because the music here cannot be understated. This is actually one of my favorite tracks on the album. Um, it starts off just the bass seemingly doing like just two or three notes at once. It's a really, really cool pattern. Um, I want to hear this song play in campy places like yeah. bookstores and <laughs> malls and Starbucks and I'd be deeply deeply moved because the nostalgia here um it, it doesn't really manifest itself in the music and I mean that in the sense that it doesn't for the first time it doesn't actually sound like it's coming from the Beatles it just makes those references but it sounds like a very very modern track and it's just it's incredibly heartfelt and I don't know if I can put too much a fine point on that one of the things that I noticed right away was the lack of percussion. I'm not saying there's no percussion, the, the drums aren't doing anything, is that it feels like it just boils down to the kick drum. That's all it really feels is what's going Pretty on soft. in this introduction. 
it's very soft and the guitar another element very soft very light on the melody side the vocals that step in very soft very harmony oriented towards that guitar everything is almost tentative to to really give itself into the song and i i like this this very tentative nature that's very it feels almost standoffish almost see i wouldn't say standoffish i'd just say delicate it feels very delicate and Delicate's light better yeah i think it, it it has this kind of air to it where and i'm really steeped in the aesthetic that this song is building it's just you can't help but get sucked into kind of how floaty and you know i don't know it feels cottony almost in many ways you could take away these lyrics it would still have the same impact like, this could be an instrumental i love it but let's but let's look at the lyrics because this is interesting this is the same thing I cited in the beginning. It's something I never really did with Red Hot Chili Peppers before. Is really like looked deeply into the lyrics. That's just me, just me. But he continues, "Hey, you're fine. I want to listen to the radio driving down Calexico Highway, and now I know the signs for sure. Hold my hand. I want to share it all with Mary. Results are gonna vary now. Results are gonna vary. Like he, it, you can't reconcile the fact that you know. I guess the age variance, even though Maybe. I imagine it's probably not so much a problem with him because he wants to. He wants to share all of this. He wants to share um, these experiences. The funny thing is, he right after he says driving down Calexico Highway, I know all the signs for sure, as if he's he's been out there so many times. He's old enough to know just about. It, he knows the place so well. I think it's a it's a subtle way of of hinting at his age right there. Sure. Even well, though he said it in not so subtle ways earlier, I just think that's a nice line. Well, I think it's because you know he's trying to be a little cheeky while still conveying an emotional point and so it's it's coming from a heartfelt place and that's why it, I think shapes the way it does I think the only negative thing I really have to say about this song is that it's one of the first times we get something that's really cool in an interlude way that kind of just breezes by it feels very fleeting I agree with that and and I was bummed because I it's one of those moments and they're rare with Red Hot Chili Peppers but it's one of those moments where I heard a thing and went oh I'd like more that oh it's over and that doesn't happen that much usually they're pretty good at making a point and and sticking it as long as it should be finger quotes should well the point because you're kind of circling it and yeah. you still haven't described what you're talking about <laughs> right. I'll describe it <laughs> first a piano starts coming in and it's only hitting one note that's all it's uh, that's all it does it's it's just playing boom boom along just a little accent and an addition to that heart that's being beat in this song it's about the capacity in which the piano has been present in the album but, but you this know. one doesn't even change its tone True, it's, it's no aware. no change whatsoever and then we get a guitar piano part that is a nice little flourish and flow between the two of them, and that's what goes by too quickly. Yeah. It's it's a stop along this highway he's on that just goes, and you're gone, Aww. and it's there. <laughs> but, but you know what? I would say, now knowing what I know about track 12 when we get to it, I think it was fleeting because of that, because we get a lot more piano in track 12 when we get to it. And so I think here I'm a little more forgiving knowing the full arc of the album because... It's almost like a tease or trailer or preview to what's coming. I, I believe you're correct in that. And just to put a, 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 my final point on, on track 11, honestly, for me, I'm going to pull to you, that wasn't a, an issue. It really <laughs> wasn't. The meat and potatoes of that track is what's important there. The fleeting interlude, those are usually the things that we like add on. And another thing, you know, when yeah. you're already in the middle of a rant on sure. the chorus and chords. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that said, I absolutely genuinely do love this song. It, it broke the issue I was having with 9 and 10. I've gotten back into the album, and I'm full invested now. And it did pull something cheeky at the end, which I feel like it really did earn, and that's the the, the quote forever outro where oh, yeah, it kind of rings out. Fades. It doesn't go too long, but it, it has a fade, and 
I love the harp on how those endings of outros of songs can be a little bit cheeky and a, but a little bit trite. This one, cheeky but earned. It did a great job of ringing us out. Before we go into the next track, The Hunter. Well, all right. So he first of all, the last line was that that line again. Results are gonna vary now, which is why I think I understand that fade out. Um, lots of uh, lots of insecurity about the results. Um, track twelve, the hunter, sad man walking. This is basically the. Well, I think this is the result. I don't know. This is the line I, that I. This is the the track. I mean, where I took the line. Time just gets its way. First of all. I love this opening stanza here. Woke up this morning like I always do. I still like to think that I'm new. Time just gets its way. Strawberries left to decay. And the way he sings this, oh, it's just... uh, Probably one of the trickiest things that I have had to do, I think, on this entire series is describe melodies. Because I say when I like them and I say when I don't. But it's a hard thing to describe because melodies are so from the heart. Yeah. Right? That the notes themselves are hard to simply convey. You want me to break down and just, like, cite the notes? I just, I don't know, do it yourself. <laughs> no, I could do it. I could post it in the comment. I don't know. The point is, the, 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 the writing here is just so perfect. The way he drags out those last two lines and the way they echo one another. Time just gets its way. Strawberries left to decay. It's beautiful. And, of course, that's the same point that I've been building to and that he has foreshadowed earlier. Now it's just said bluntly. Time will have its way. And he even says, I still like to think that I'm new. Right? Yeah. Clearly that's been the desire here. He just very often magically manages to sound as a musician like he, frankly, is still in his 20s. So I I think uh, fake it till you make it much? There's no faking this. The combination of the really forlorn vocals and the piano lead. You forgot to mention that part. We have a sad lead, but it's all in the piano because the bass is a quiet little beast and not much else is going on. Everything is down-keyed, downtrodden, so that when the chorus steps in, it's almost a gospel like exclamation yeah. that that just pierces through this malaise and this melancholy and other M's words. <laughs> this forlorn idea, this really sad old man in many ways, he's he's rejuvenated. I also like how that functions, those two lines. It's almost like a pre-chorus because of how it kind of, because of how those two lines echo one another as opposed to perhaps those first two lines of the stanza. Well, and Time they gets are... its way, strawberries left to, beca- left to decay. They function almost as a pre-chorus well, here. Because they are repeated throughout the the song, or, but they're in or the rather, middle of the verse. They're That's in the, the exactly. They're yeah. like a little par- parenthetical for the verse. So they're mini chorus amidst yeah. the verse, and then we get a continuation of the verse, and then we get the chorus later. I want to go back to the piano point that John was making, though, because I feel like my point that I was making about the fleeting piano moment and like the the kind of uh, introspective moment in track eleven. In track twelve, we get a little bit more of an elongated piano intro, which is it's, setting us up even more for piano we get in the final track. And oh, I think geez. it's important to make that point that they're they're using instrumentation to tease what's coming, and I love that. Absolutely, and it absolutely has to be intentional. And here we even get some more instrumentation that we hadn't gotten before. Amidst the chorus and verse, we get some horn work that's only has minor moments, but it still feels very impactful to the overall aesthetic of the track that we're getting. This is the mark, uh, and this this time I just send some uh, profound compliments, you know, to this band because of the fact that, you know, all of this is about, you know, how time gets its way, and I'm old, I'm old, oh, you know, boo-hoo. At the same time, this is the kind of writing that 
sounds incredible. Like they have the knowledge and the, and the know-how and the what well, the funk spirit to make it sound incredibly youthful, but with the wisdom that comes with age mm-hmm. that allows this to be so expertly composed. Well, I agree. I think the, even I'm the way, glad he's as old as he is for the sake of this. <laughs> even the end of this track, the way it kind of just leaves you hanging. Like we don't really get a conclusion of this track. It just kind of ends yeah. and i love that too it, it reflects on the the theme that we're talking about here about trying to understand where you are in life with age and with time and it also is a great way to go to the final track it just kind of leaves you hanging wanting more and you get it lastly well, this this should have been what biggie pop's record was <laughs> he unfortunately didn't uh he didn't use his, his wisdom i think quite as well Actually, in uh episode 188 post-pop depression i want to talk about the end of this track because uh, aside from the last ringing out of the chorus, the final little verse snippet, it's not a full right. verse. It actually goes away from the strawberries. It goes from the decay. You just get, the hunter gets hunted. We all get confronted. Don't just slip away. Voices that start to betray. It's a play on the same rhyme scheme, but it's a different a different presentation, a different message being put out right here. And then we get the chorus, which is the best chorus on the album, might be the best lines on the album, because presentation is everything, and I'm not even going to try to repeat it how he does it, but it's haunting. Even though you raised me, I will never be your father, king of each and every sunset marquee. Even though you're crazy, you will never be a bother. You're my old man of the sea. It's uh, the content itself really isn't like the highest and greatest and grandest, but the presentation is chilling to the core. Mm-hmm. I love every little word right here, and this is going to be a chorus I'm going to be singing along with for like every, for the rest of my life. Every time I hear this song, going to be there. Back to track one comment, uh, tattooed in my eardrum. You yeah. know, you can't, you can't read this without hearing it. <sighs> Are we? Are we <laughs> no, no criticism so far. No, I guess not really of the no, end here. This was no. my point in the middle of the album, and that we the surprises were really saved for for later. Like it's kind of um, I don't know. It's like a it's like a parabola. The whole album. Sure. Yes. Why not? <laughs> Let's go to the final track, "Dreams of a Samurai," and this is where we get piano, unlike I think I've ever heard. On a Chili Peppers record, for sure. They, it's yeah, what, they don't use it, it like this. It was what all of the other piano moments were leading to. And I honestly forgive and take back my criticism from mm. track 11 because I feel like it really did serve the purpose to lead us to this f- final moment. This, this piano moment, it sets the stage for something that just feels so grandiose. And I think it... F- it feels like a finale, but it doesn't feel final. Well, let's speci- let's get specific. I mean, of course, it sounds, because it is just the piano alone, you know, you have that hint, like, almost sounds like a classical in the beginning, mm-hmm. but then it kind of heads in more of, like, a sad core pop direction. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of realizing by now, of course, that the, the sad is the direction that this album takes as a whole. Right. An interesting uh, parabola towards sadness. Actually, it wouldn't be a parabola. It would just be a straight downward spot. It's called Depends the decline. Yeah, well, I'm not talking about quality. It's either quality or happy sad. You, those two different charts. Right. Um, the point is, they still do that Red Hot Chili Peppers thing. Mm-hmm. Of course... Flea the bass, Flea, hi Flea. He enters in and says, hey, get the piano out of here. And he comes in with a riff following the the overall like piano ambient dealio, which I just loved, but still loved the bass even more so. And then the drums start spazzing out. And then it's it's Chili Peppers all out. You, you still kind of have the sad element, and the track is called Dreams of a Samurai. You're not even a content yet. But it's just one last chance to rock out for this album and be Red Hot Chili Peppers um, at their fullest. The drums are spazzing out. The funk guitar is spazzing out. It kind of in the 
corner, like while he's singing sweetly. Like he's just yeah. doing all out funk guitar there, waka waka waka. But he's kind of like distant, you know. I, I, I like that little effect of kind of sounding a little bit panned off to the side in, in mixing. Yeah, and I mean, when we get vocals here and they come in and we make our way to the chorus, it gets even more cacophonous. And it, it could be considered a wall of sound, but not to me because there's enough intricacies within it that I can pull on that I don't feel like I'm just being hit with noise. He's also going a little more towards his Aussie side again yeah. and really just like belting out, proclaiming a lot of what's going on right here. Mm-hmm. It's there's There's really no pretense going on anymore. It's just like... Here's I have to impart this manic wisdom on us, or sure. uh, a maniacal I don't know M words. Maniacal the, wisdom. There you are. I mean, it's it's just craziness, just bleeding through right now. And you also get you know let's just talk about the obvious. We have some repetition here in the theme, of course. The theme has been the same theme that we you know had from much earlier. Starting off, standing naked in your kitchen, feeling free that I could be alive. Clearly, I'm a contradiction. Too young to be my wife. That, yeah. that is. It's he, the whole he getting, thing. Getting getting like more and more uh, specific with each and every track. No, we knew what it was about. Right. But even as specific as that verse is, the chorus is a metamorphosis samurai. You got a little Lord Fish, and I don't know why I got a metaphor metamorphosis samurai. Mm, God, it's yeah, a mouthful. The metamorphosis is a hard word to say. Yeah, it's and it's just it's just. But I don't mind. I don't know like, what it I'm means. So I don't care what with it means. Song. I'm just enjoying I, it. Reading context earlier on, a peaceful storm is never hectic. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Um, her mellow voice that I could be within the uniform is anorexic. A jealous choice won't win. Some vagaries, but not hyper vague. It's, no, it's, I get it. I get it. It's just that, it, well, first of all, as like I, I, these are the lyrics that I never think that Red Hot Chili Peppers is capable of. But they like, are. They but do. But they it are, frequently. and they clearly do, and they're frequently. But, but because you never of, focused on it, you're never focused on it because of because <laughs> funk. Because funk. Right. funk. Always because funk. That's that Steve's catchphrase. Yeah. Cause funk. And the funny <laughs> thing is, actually, there's not a lot like funk. It's is sort of part of this here, but it's also got kind of a psychedelic edge to yeah, it. This dips sure. back in time a little bit. Sounds a little bit '70s for actually kind of two reasons: that the psychedelic edge, uh, the wah, and also the the uh, Ozzy Osbourne vocals. You know, um, actually, no, a third reason as well: the choir that shows up later. Yeah. Um, well, then again, that's not necessarily. 70s. It's just in general, though, the choir in the background, I was adoring those harmonies. Absolutely adoring them. See, and I liked them, but I by the time they came in towards the end of the track really in force, I was so focused on the ridiculous drum solo we were getting as an outro. And so I... Hey, I at do, least they give you a lot to chew on. Right? And, and and I love when they let Chad run free. It's like taking Animal off his chains in the Muppets. It's like he just goes <laughs> wild. You know, I always thought Flea was more of the, the, the scary force, but you might be right because that drum solo is awesome. It's just At a great the same way to time, close. while you're listening, you can actually bounce it back and forth between mm-hmm. the two. You don't have to focus on one. It's not just that, oh, you're going to notice this drum section and then maybe on a subsequent listen, oh, you're going to hear the harmonies. No, the mixing is just phenomenal for all the stuff that's going on that you can really go, oh, there's the harmonies. Now let's go back to the drums. No, let's look at the bass right now. It's so clear. This is one of the most interesting levels they've reached. Like It's really just so dissectable bit by bit. It's a cacophony that is like crystals. Well, first of all, Flea is um, a, a crazy force. True. 
I think people know him that more because he's got those crazy eyes. Uh, he's maybe. got the look. Maybe. He's got the look. I still picture him, as always, as needles in uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, sure. Always. I, I, I will say, though, I think this is probably one of the strongest endings to an album I've ever heard. I just feel like from the moment the track starts to the moment we get that final drum solo, it just it concludes in a way that I was absolutely satisfied with. It also showcased the one thing that was kind of missing for this album for me. When you think about Red Hot, in they had the psychedelia. It had the psychedelic rock that just hadn't shown up yet, and it really did it just beautifully. It's not something I needed, though, either. And that kind of brings me to, I guess, the point uh, that I'll be making really in my wrap-up here. I knew this was going to be hard because they're a band with a sound. A sound that can't be faulted. It's what got them popular. We spend too much time, I think, looking for bands who are introducing something new every track that we occasionally forget about identity. And we also also run to problems where the opposite problem, where identity is sorely lacking. But here, these guys are the best of both worlds, theoretically. I think they do just the right amount of stretching and exploring within their style. And maybe that's just the only problem I have with this record. I know it's nitpicking, but it's that just the right amount thing that just uh, bothers me. It's not going to put this in my super upper echelon. It's the, why it's not going to be a five star. Um, and it makes me feel ever so slightly unfulfilled. That said, I enjoyed this. I enjoy the crap out of this record. Here, just to explain this a little bit better. I'm gonna. I think I'm better off speaking in abstract terms today. This album is like a Norman Rockwell painting. It's not shaking up critics in the way they like to be shaken up. But like a Norman Rockwell painting, you stare at it endlessly. No matter if it's a field or a brook or a disheveled farmer. Uh, could it be that dis- that the Chili Peppers have have such a familiarity and comforting sound with both each other and with me that I really am just giving this like the golden pass in some way? Because honestly, to that comparison, if I had the disposable income to decorate my home with art, like like art art, Norman Rockwell is probably one of the first that comes to mind next to things that maybe I clearly do feel a little more passionately about, like Art Deco and Beaux Arts. There are many sides to Steve Nagel, okay? There's, there's, there's one thing and then there's the other thing. But I think the thing that I always did want from Chili Peppers from the start is form variance. And they do it occasionally, but not always, and not today, and not too much. I want a little bit more composition and a little less riffing, but they're two separate talents, so you can't fault the second one. Honestly, I think they're as good as ever, literally as good as they ever have been. Some of my, uh, you know, friends and people in general, fans of the group, of course, bemoan the loss of John Bruchante, who was an amazing guitarist, and I feel that loss too, but all things considered, they recouped seamlessly. I'll, I'll be blunt, this album is actually an album that I sorely needed this week. It's fun, it's drivable, I can get my funk catharsis out, but I get a lot of substance alongside it. I've been tapping to it right and left. I don't even mind the 80s influence so much because I actually unintentionally pre-gamed this with Ungo Boingo. That was unintentional, didn't expect (laughs) to do that. Um, This is a 4.5, like an even 4.5 as a great album. I don't know what more I I could want from Red Hot Chili Peppers. I... Just know that it's not the next thing in music, and that's the only reason why I reserve that top stuff. But otherwise, an album that is so consistently what an artist is, I would ever, I would never dream of rating so highly if they weren't as good as they are. So, there you have it. 
I, I and I love the theme. There's that too. Yeah, it's it's an interesting theme. It's a little bit different on your standard love story, and that's what makes it fun to get into and start looking at uh, word by word, lyric by lyric, which is something I, I do with a lot of albums. But it's still got that kind of off the wall. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? Kind of feel, which permeates a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers. So it could be shrouded, it could be cloudy, but it's still kind of right there in your face at the same time. It's also... All right, let me explain Red Hot to me in many ways. is the epitome of alternative rock. They kind of encapsulate what alternative rock is because while, yes, you could label them further as funk rock or certain songs as psychedelic or this or that or the other thing, they are different than what you would have expected rock to turn into. They are the alternative side. They are the transition from your classic rock and your punk and your grunge into what we have and what we call your mainstream rock today. They were, uh, in many ways, a bridge. They, they made 30 years worth of amazing music and never really skipped a beat, never really changed. They just got refined. They just got better at what they were doing. And this is some of their best work. It's not as powerful as, you know, Scar Tissue or Breaking the Girl in, in many ways because there's an emotional connection I have to those songs that just hasn't had chance to develop with these tracks. It's not... As, as like awe-inspiring as Under the Bridge or so many of their other pieces. It's not as energizing as Give It Away Now. That that track will always be the, the hype-up track that at any point I hear it, I'm going, I'm, I'm giving it away. It's it's one of those songs that just always will get to me. But in many, in many instances on this album, they've taken those previous best hits, greatest ideas, and refined it and made them just a little bit better and a little bit worse. They balanced it out. They made them feel like they were the best produced. They just didn't push. And I think that's where I'm, I'm in the same neighborhood as Steve. They didn't push. They know who they are and they make no apologies. So I'm pretty much, I'm exactly where Steve is. 4.5. All right. Um, so Red Hot Chili Peppers has always been a band for me that I connected to emotionally. All the time. I mean, if you want to cry and cry good, listen to uh, Under the Bridge when you're depressed. It'll help. Every time. Works every time. But, but that said, and no secret to the listeners that I kind of listen with my heart, which is hard because your ears, your ears aren't on your heart, but I make it work. Um, and if your heart's vibrating, it's probably a bad sign. Right. Um, I, I, I just, I can't really, f- like the, the main thing that you guys agree with, I can't agree with. Like, I get that they're not pushing the boundaries of music and that you 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 kind of want to hold it back for that, but I don't think we've ever had a band on this show that knows itself so well, is so tight, and is pushing the boundaries of what they do. Steve, you said it yourself. This is probably, with more time, you will come to find the best album they've ever put out. I mean, that says a lot in the vein of not necessarily pushing music, they're at least pushing their own career. I can't think of another band off the top of my head where every album is better than the last. Even some of my favorite bands like Eve Six and Matchbox 20, I like their new records, but their older records are still better to me. Here, I don't know that I can say that. I think this album to me is one of the best albums they've ever made. 
And so I, I have to push it higher. I think for that, and then the connection I get to every track, even the ones that I like less, there's still no lack of connectivity. They are just not my favorites. But there is an emotional through line throughout all of this. And as someone who has been struggling with uncertainty and anxiety and depression lately, this fear of getting older, while I'm by no means in my 50s, I'm much younger than that, I still struggle with some of this. And so on a personal level, I really connect to it. This looking back on your own life and going, well, here I am, but where's here? And what's next? And that that really resonated with me. So this is an upper echelon album to me. I just can't hold it back for not pushing music because that's not what they're here to do. And again, I think they're pushing their own music. They're pushing the boundaries and they are a band that, like a fine wine or a good cheese, gets better every year with age you know it just keeps getting better i'm just gonna say cheese doesn't always get better sometimes it turns <laughs> i guess it depends <laughs> on the cheese and even wine turns to vinegar eventually, That's eventually. but yeah. maybe you wanted vinegar so then it's still positive ah. i don't need cooking cherry all right no then i'd buy vinegar what yeah. the- <laughs> <laughs> my point is because of how deeply i connected to this and where i've rated albums that i connect so deeply with this is by far in the upper force for me and I, I find it I find no reason to give it less than a four point nine. It's not a perfect album, I agree. The two tracks that I cited, Detroit and this Ticonderoga, I don't love, but I really like and I just it's thank you, Anthony Kiedis and the rest of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Thank you so much. I mean Anthony Kiedis has also been one of my singing idols since I was a kid. Like I wanted to sing like him. Absolutely want to sing along like with him a lot too. Yeah. Right, right. Because we can't sing like him. So, so that's where I'm at with this. This, this, this has made my heart pour out more than I think any other album we've done this year for the most part, and it's because of all the parts. I feel you, and I think really all things considered, I would cons- like their album, their discography has probably been building from four up to four point five for me over the course of their career. Sure. Like they, they do just continually get better, and I really love the theme the same exact way uh, as as you did. Yeah, yeah. the The pushing music thing is just I don't know. It's just a it's an ethereal little cloud that just hangs in the air. It's where old Steve quite quite hasn't died yet. That's where he it's hasn't right died. It's, yeah, where, it's where old Steve will always be pretty old. Yes. Uh, drop him down point five. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, this is a good jumping off point based on what I was talking about. I think to talk about how tight this band is and how long they've been together and working together, with the exception of John Frusciante, who's come and gone a few times, and who knows could come back again. You know, I think that's important to talk about in music. You know, when you have a band that's more than one person, becoming a family and knowing each other and being together for so long can't not affect the music. Like, it has to affect what you're working on, especially when it's so collaborative and everyone was working on the project. I mean, John's saying off the air earlier that I think at least six or seven songs on this record, everybody worked on. Literally everybody made it happen. And that's a big deal. There are only a few things, I think, that in, uh, in bands' careers that could really, like, you know, cause them to take a dip. One is, you know, maybe they get uh, a little too bogged down, you know, in the drug culture and everything. And actually, that that was really in their history here. Sure, like, they're Red Hot Chili Peppers had kind of a hardcore past. But as long as, I guess, they keep the music inside of themselves, then you can always push past that. But it does tear down a lot of other groups, for yeah. sure. Um, it also tears down... Uh, 
Oh, another thing that might tear him down is, you know, well, the, the Yoko Ono situation. You know, we had to listen to uh, our guest, Matt Dorsey, you know, talk about his experience with an old band. Sometimes, hey, you know, love, it can shift your uh, your focus. Your priorities. You know? Your priorities, yeah. exactly. Um, Which and is not necessarily against the person. And it's, the most well-known is that is the, well, the, uh, <laughs> the term Yoko itself, Ono, yeah. Yoko Ono. Yeah. Um, and even though, of course, there are obviously other reasons to as well there and sometimes it's artistic direction it sounds like artistic direction was also a big part of why the Beatles broke up there's so many things that can do this but if you manage to push through all of those and you keep your priorities where they are and I guess you stay true to yourself in in terms of songwriting and you never really lose that that muse at least not in a noticeable way then you do have the potential to just keep binding yourself like a few molecules with the with your bandmates creating a kind of cohesive entity that just gets stronger and stronger the bond gets stronger over the over the course of years and it happens very rarely but it's always obvious and when when it's true actually uh, one to speak to that point one of the more interesting facts is that when you start going through the dust jacket information and start looking at who wrote the songs it's never any of them. It's always all of them. Yeah. Every single track on this is credited minimally to the four members of Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's their way of saying, not going to do this without Flea. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> do it. Well, they couldn't do it. Actually, yeah. uh, fun fact, the album got delayed eight months because Flea broke his arm snowboarding uh, back Ooh. in 2014. Oh, wow. And the whole thing was like, all right, we got we got all of our songs, but can't do it without Flea. Yeah. So we're not even going to try to do it without Flea. So, yeah, they delayed a better part of a year just because well they they refuse to go on now that said you can't go without fleet i mean it's fleet <laughs> at the same time i don't know if other musicians would have actually done something like that they In might have got ways, a session musician to help fill out the album or something yeah, yeah. and, and it, that that doesn't seem to be the case here i think also what's important about the red hot chili peppers and bands like them is that it becomes about family, but it also, like any tight unit that's been working together for a long period of time, you're going to have rough patches, but you move through it based on your love of the work and your love of each other. And mm-hmm. it's not always clear in how you interact, but you just keep taking those steps forward so you get to where you need to be to be on common ground again. Now, that's not to say that we know their personal life and think that they love one another yeah, we so don't deeply know. that we they're no brothers. I mean, we did like just that. have a song where you called him his best friend. That's yeah, nice. So yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, you can infer it. We're yeah, going to go yeah. with that. You can infer it. But at the same time, these guys have been playing for 30 years. In fact, over the last 25 years, all seven of their records since Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic, top 10 production right away. I mean, they, they premiered yeah. top four or better on the Billboard. You don't get that with, you know, a band that gets thrown together all too often. And the exception in our case, I think, might be FFS when Franz Ferdinand and Sparks, I mean, they kind of came together and made a monster of an album. But they're kind of the exception that proves the rule. I would agree with that. Yeah. True. In the long haul, that was, that was most uh, probably mostly serendipity in yeah, the fact that they just were able really to somehow lucky. work with each other. Um, but bands like Red Hot, I mean, thirty years. You have a history when you start doing thirty years, and some bands like Black Sabbath broke up for a pretty long time. When they came back together, they they've changed. sounded 
they sounded like Black Sabbath. Don't get us wrong, but they did change. It, yeah. it, it wasn't quite the same level of where they were kind of broken going up with. as a group for that long. And just like you know, music doesn't work that way. There are some friendships can sometimes work that way where you jump back together and it's just like hey, just like old times. You know, you jump right back into the mix. I I know friendships that are that way. Um, where time is 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 a uh, not an art entity. is a little different. But I feel art like. is definitely different because art is it's a skill and skills fade. You know, music is not like riding a bike. I think I had a, a math teacher a long time ago that also said math is not like riding a bike. These are all skills and trades that you have to do more and more often mm-hmm. in order to get get better at, or not even that, just to maintain your prior quality. For instance, um, a lot of us, considering the three of us probably not really involved in the mathematics field, I would challenge you to do some of the problems that you could do probably back in 11th grade. No, thank you. Bet you couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't have to bet. You're probably right. There you are. I probably could do them from 11th grade on. Yeah, maybe not 12th or nah, I doubt or, you. Or college level because that I kind of glossed over. But <laughs> 11th grade was easy stuff. It was like sequential yeah. three. I mean, it, it was nothing. Yeah, and music is just obvious that way because it's both it's both uh, keep your artistic sensibilities in check and also the, the raw skill involved. You know, a lot of what Red Hot Chili Peppers are doing is uh, technical. It's just it's incredibly technical and, and not just self-practice but working with each other and being able to have a jam where you're essentially impro- improvising off of the other person's ideas yeah. that's something that you can only, can only benefit from having the other person present yeah frequently it's, it's one of those things where i think a band like this and other bands in a similar vein as far as longevity and cohesiveness you set an example by just being able to collaborate but it's beyond collaboration like two artists featuring together for one song it's Mm -hmm. it's this integration like you were saying before where you are literally the same person red hot chili peppers is a person that's comprised of four people yeah you know and and you really get a sense of that from this album specifically i think that these are not just anthony kiedis's words it's it's some of it is but i think a lot of it is also the other band members and how they feel they're not spring chickens either and i think you really get a sense of that from this record I'd i'd love to know the details on the songwriting process like is it the music before the lyrics lyrics before one the music? of the first things it, it, i always ask in interviews yeah. because i'm always fascinated by that and I, I do want to actually mention one thing it's four it's not quite quite four people because you got to remember prior to this album rick rubin was for 25 years their producer yeah. and he did an amazing job and i got to hand it danger mouse who is their new producer seem to really have stepped up to the plate amazingly mm, yeah, on this album. And you're and right. I, it's pretty impressive he, but what I think, he was able to but do. But I think that's impressive because of the cohesion the band already had. Yeah. I like, think he couldn't have done that if they didn't already have I don't have know. That. Maybe he was just there going, all right, that's a wrap. Uh, maybe he was there no doing idea. a lot more stuff. He is actually one of the few people credited by name on other stuff outside the just the band. He's on five or six of the tracks as like, oh, no, we have to include him. I would put that to our listeners. If you can think of a few bands that you believe have been together for a long time and have consistently gotten better in the same way I described before where things did not get in the way, post it in the comments. Yeah. I would love to see a list of, of those cases because I find them so rarely. Yeah, and I'm correct. sure there are others. I yeah. mean, I absolutely am sure there are, and I would love to see that too, so please do that. Unfortunately, uh, music culture is littered with lots of uh, disappointments and, uh, you know, celebrity gossip. Yes, that is. Mm, yeah. yeah. And broken true. boy bands. The There's a lot of... What you never knew. A lot of <laughs> broken boy bands now. It's like, they have a five-year shelf life, and then boom, disperse. All right. <laughs> uh, before we get into what we're doing next week, uh, Steve, I believe you have a very lengthy comment from a 
recurring listener who we adore. Oh, yes. We have no spam mail today, where instead we have a giant comment from Alex Star F. Alverson, who recommended The Impossible Kid by Aesop Rock just three weeks ago in episode 198. It can be found at the bottom of that post, public to all. Of course, he's left giant comments uh, on his previous recommendation in episode 148, We Cool by Jeff Rosenstock, as well as on episode 168's Blurry Face by 21 Pilots. So he's been extremely participant, and I think an excellent way to start off season five of the Crash Chords podcast is by sharing the kinds of comments that we would love to see more of. Contributions to the discussion, reflections on the art, and continuations of the analysis. So for that, I will be reading his most recent comment verbatim. Once again, Alex Starf Alverson commenting on episode 198, his recommendation, The Impossible Kid by Aesop Rock. Well, first off, I'd like to say thank you so much once again for doing an episode on this album at my request. I'd like to follow that by saying you're welcome for pushing you to do this album. Oh, where to begin? I suppose I'll start by throwing in my own two cents on the conversation about whether or not extreme density and abstract matters in lyrics is a detriment or a positive. Of course, like all things, the answer isn't clear-cut and varies based on the context. So assuming we're talking The Impossible Kid, I'd say that for me, it totally works, most of the time. In most cases, deep-cut references or abstract meanings hidden behind complex metaphors lead to more and more content being realized upon multiple listens. In the event that the listener doesn't know what the specific reference is at all, it provides a gateway to learn about a new thing. This is one aspect I really enjoy about music like this. Delving deep into lyrics and learning about new subjects is something I absolutely love to do. It provides a better understanding of the album at hand, first and foremost, but it also provides me with a wider base of cultural knowledge I may not have been exposed to in general. I think the real problem with abstract lyrics, and this was touched on when you got to the track Tough, is when it's cryptic and not referring to public knowledge, but rather private knowledge. This, in effect, alienates the listener because then there is no way to research these things, and it's simply left up to interpretation. That's why I think the abstract and cryptic lyrics work so well in tracks like Mystery Fish, and maybe feel a little more restrictive in tracks like Tough. Uh, Also, to the point of public references being fun, if you are familiar with what he's rapping about, it becomes that much sweeter on the first or first few listens. Point in case, John felt some of the references a little overbearing in Mystery Fish, but was so delighted to have the knowledge to explain the albatross line from Dorks. Now, as for your critique of the album as a whole, I must say, you did a wonderful job as usual. Daw. And I agree with pretty much everything that was said. I, too, prefer the first portion of the album and experience the same sort of pitfalls near the end, which is a damn shame. But as someone who has spent a little more time with it, I want to share a story about the one song that I feel should have been cut from the album completely. Defender. Defender is a good song, but I don't think that it belongs in this album. Even in your review, by the time you got to it, I found it funny because you barely even talked about it. It's obvious that this track was just kind of here. And besides the fact that it does feel a little trite this late in the album, I also feel like the entire thing feels a little thematically different too. I know that it's not because of the narrative aspect, I mean I enjoyed the straight up storytelling so much on Blood Sandwich, so I'm not sure what it is, but this track just feels wrong here on the album, and I feel like I enjoy it less because of that. But I was recently driving, and had all of my music on shuffle, and the song came on, and I love listening to it. I firmly believe that it would have had a better home on an EP, or perhaps maybe released as a one-off single. Moving on, I'm not going to sit here and point out all the things you either missed or simply chose not to talk about. As discussed, this is an extremely dense album, and all of that can be chalked up to the fact that you either have to spend a lot of time with it to catch everything, which I have, I haven't gone more than a few days without listening to this album since it first came out, and that if we were going to discuss everything, your podcast would end up being five hours long. Uh, yeah, we, we, no. We're long 
enough at this point. Um, But the one thing I did want to point out that seemed a little more glaring is Supercell. The one thing that was never brought up uh, is the aspect of it essentially being a Christmas song without actually sounding like one. More specifically, this is a song about the struggle of whether or not Ace should go home and be with his family during the holiday season. Most of this can be especially extrapolated from the second verse. Uh, It starts off with the easy-to-catch Christmas imagery, On Dasher, Half-Dead Carolers, Decahall, Wreckahall Advent Calendar, and moves on to discuss his options of being with his family or not. The album makes no attempt to hide the fact that religion has driven a wedge between him and his mom, uh, such as the entire second verse from Blood Sandwich, or the line, These kids are running wild, I'm still recovering from church, from a lot of years. Uh, That's why you get the following. Truthfully, I don't know which makes me a bigger coward. Either stomach all the hubris, cash in his two cents, loose lips locked over a chewed Eucharist. He could just swallow his pride and go have a happy little holiday and get together with his family, pretending everything is jolly as can be, or, the lines, or maybe reappropriate the energy, hold up, passing the paltry to Hecate, uh, bullheaded, burnout, fled his own pedigree, and never better, never would have met your heaven anyway. Oh, that's great writing. (laughs) It's true, we did not pick up on this. Uh, Except that because of this rift between them, then maybe it would have just been better to disappear completely and become a ghost to them. Another track that had an interesting piece of speculation attached to it when I was doing my own research on the album is Dorks. You pretty much nailed it with uh, what the song is about in broad terms, but I read opinions from various people, and of course it bears stating that, who knows if any of this is true or not, that the song is specifically about LP, the rapper LP. Uh, I was wondering if you would have stumbled onto this in your own research as well. We did not and thought it might be an interesting point of discussion considering your recent episode on Run the Jewels 2, uh, which was back in episode 191. I'm bouncing around all over the place here, but I want to talk for a moment about Tough again. Uh, As Matt pointed out, this track is pretty much just supposed to be unhinged and crazy. Ace tweeted about it specifically, saying, Tough is just sort of the feeling of being off the rails a bit, where where you decide you should probably get some help after, just wanting to bug out. And when taken at face value, it is just a fun track. I don't feel it impedes on the album's continuity at all like Defender does. For some reason, a bit of chaos right here makes total sense to me after a few more straightforward tracks. Uh, Also, as a bit of my own personal headcanon, I like to think of Tough as being... Sort of an unhinged, I'm off my meds type of track, specifically due to the, this bit in the lyrics. My wig picker threw me out of her office, had to cold turkey benzos, summer was awesome, onion of bensis, summer was awesome, got brats on the grill, wormwood on the cauldron. Um, it, it's Ace unable to refill a prescription and just sort of being left to his own devices suddenly and unexpectedly. This is once again personal interpretation, but I think this track is just fun and sort of an all-over-the-place wrap-up of where we've come in the album so far. Finally, as far as specific tracks go, I want to touch on the finale of Molecules. I was surprised we didn't talk about the last verse, which is such a phenomenal ending to this album, and incredibly interesting because it's just really a big fuck you to his fan base in a way. The whole thing stating that in order to find success in what he's doing, you sort of have to be stuck in a miserable life, and so he's literally afraid to get help and become happy because of his success as a musical artist. I don't remember when it was mentioned, but uh, I liked when you guys brought up sadness is a far more interesting than happiness oh that's right i said that yeah. <laughs> i've actually said that a few times in the podcast um uh, interestingly a jazz professor once told me that and it related musically uh to the way in which minor chords develop uh anywho there's probably more to say i mean there's always more to say let's be honest but i'm pretty tired at the moment so i'm going to wrap it up and call that a comment thanks for being rad 
Whew. Yeah, mouthful. He, and then he, he actually, yeah, he actually followed, followed that by a second comment, which I'll hold off reading verbatim because I think that was actually a wonderful end. But it's essentially a list of rap album recommendations based in part on our enjoyment of Aesop Rock, along with an awesome link that he provided that's basically a scatter plot of how diverse vocabulary is of uh, various rappers like mainstream yeah, rappers yeah. yeah like like of aesop rock for instance he's at the top yeah. and dmz's at the bottom yeah gee shocker really shocker. DMZ? really yeah. like that was wow he was at the at least least uh diverse vocabulary so Alrighty. yeah well, all listeners who are intrigued with uh aesop rock and also intrigued with star f um should absolutely check out all of those artists that he listed and uh that scatterplot link because i was very fascinated by that it was pretty cool so uh um star f thank you as always for interacting uh, we adore you and uh i'm sure you'll recommend something else for us to review later this year or next year anyway let's move on to what we're doing next week it's steve's pick first of the season so steve what are we doing next week second of the season we just had our season opener today. That's right. First, I guess, individual pick Yeah, of that's the what season. I meant. Yeah, I don't think you're going to expect this one. We're doing Gojira. Okay. Oh, you don't know Gojira? No. Huh, you're going to know him in a bit. Well, it's not a him. It's a, it's a band. It's metal. It's serious, serious metal. Okay. Uh, this is in part a little bit of a, uh, a friend recommendation. I have a friend who kind of wanted me to do this, and I was thinking, you know what? I would be interested in tackling some really hard metal. Okay. This may, maybe, probably the hardest, yeah, yeah, definitely the hardest metal that we've as yet tackled on this show. And what is their new album called? The album is called Magma. Oh, wow. So metal. So metal. So metal. So metal. So metal. All right. So Gojira, metal, or Magma, rather, uh, which is metal. All right. Well, I guess we have that to look forward to and steep in a little bit. Be that as it may, we are done for this week. So remember, as always, music is life and and life life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.